Hi, everyone. I am Mr. Beats. Thanks for being here tonight. Uh, we are, well, I guess it could be morning where you are if you're like in a different part of the world um, or afternoon. But yeah, where I'm at, it's uh, the evening, just finished dinner. And we, this is another episode of 10 questions. We've been doing them more regularly and I'm, I just love doing these. So tonight uh, I have Zoe B., as my guest, and we will be interviewing each other, asking each other 10 open-ended questions. We don't know of these questions ahead of time, so it's always a surprise. It usually leads to a pretty awesome conversation, and we'll take your questions at the end if there's time. Usually, we go about two to three hours, and uh, yeah, if you don't know who Zoe B is, uh, she makes great videos. Uh, she, In fact, um, how I came across her videos was it was recommended to me one of her prager you uh for lack of a better word debunking videos <laughs> analysis of prager you um and that's something we definitely have in common so that was but you know she has a kind of a wide range of of uh content i would say um she's also a poet um has amazing cats and uh just all around good, like, especially like pedagogical content because she has a teaching background. She's a teacher. So uh, I will now uh, welcome to the show, without further ado, Zoe B. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me on. I am so excited. Yeah, I thank you so much for being here. Um, when I said, yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's how excited I am. <laughs> um, yeah, this is the first time we've met, so... Um, it's cool to collaborate and yes. it, we found out that we had watched each other's videos before. So that's always a bonus. Um, I think the Prager U element kind of like has, is the, uh, <laughs> commonality. Um, yeah, but if you, anything I left out, like if you want to like, uh, give any more information, um, to the viewers about yourself. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that you covered it pretty well. I'm just a fellow video essayist. I don't know if you consider what you do video essays. Do you consider them video essays? That's not oh, the first question. That's a sometimes. <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, sometimes, um, mm. usually though, it's just I would call them more explainer type mm -hmm. videos, just boring educational <laughs> videos. You know. <laughs> well, yeah, I definitely I try to, as a as someone with a writing and teaching background, I try to sort of weave that that line uh, mm -hmm. of video essays. So yeah, just about education, literature, social issues, stuff like that. Wide range. Yeah. And it is kind of funny because like, I mean, some of your most successful videos, I think, are the um, Prager U debunkings. But, you know, it's like you kind of your audience will let you know and, oh, we really like yes. that. And, but there's also times you're just like, I want to make what I want to make. So um, I want to I really appreciated your last video actually um, about mm -hmm. uh, parents, um, you know, the real reason why parents want to homeschool their children. Um, I think it tapped into something that is not talked about enough, but it's related to one of my questions. So I won't go into it too much, but like everyone go check out Zoe's video about uh, what's it called? It's called uh, what parents rights really means. Parents rights really means. Yes. Yeah. And um Spoiler alert, it's about control, but that's okay. It's still, you, the way you, you uh, kind of break it down is, is amazing. Um, just kind of like a, I don't know. I think that's something you learn as 
when you teach is that um, you just you learn how to break down things in a way that doesn't it's uh, just so like, oh, this is easy. You know, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of video essayists on this platform uh, in particular, they can sometimes get a bit pretentious. You know what I mean? <laughs> like using big- your words, not mine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not going to name any names, but like, yeah, <laughs> yours are very easy to digest for someone like myself. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I will begin it to break the ice. Um, and this is always a good, like, it's just a background question. So, oh, and I have a tracker, so we, we stay on track. Um, Perfect. There we go. Okay. How did your teaching background prepare you to become a YouTuber? Oh, what a good question. I think, I do actually think that it was sort of what you were just saying, that it helped me to think about how to explain things in ways that are easy to understand. Um, it helps me like break down issues into their most like core component parts and then um, like scaffold them. So I, I mean, this is, you know, viewers feel free to tell me in the comments that I am wrong and off base here, but I like to think that one of the strengths of my work is that I do a good job of placing enough building blocks that getting to my conclusion and like getting to the the endpoints of the videos uh, feels straightforward and natural. Um, and that's definitely, you know, I mean, like scaffolding and and the like building of lessons is really one of the like fundamental things that they teach you um, in teacher preparation courses. Um, other than that, I think it also helped me with learning how to take feedback because in learning how to teach, you get a lot of feedback from your superiors, people telling you like, hey, that lesson kind of sucked. Here's what you can do better. Uh, but also, at least at the college level, um, you get a lot of student evaluations that are very honest <laughs> and sometimes are wonderful and sometimes are not just like YouTube comments. Uh, so that's, you know, I don't know that anyone is ever like fully prepared for YouTube comments, but uh, I definitely was at least somewhat inoculated uh, from those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of times, well, you taught college, right? Or do you still mm -hmm. teach um, college? No, I stopped teaching uh, in May of last two years ago. Oh, wow. We, we yeah. left the profession around the same time. Oh. Yeah. May of 2021. Yep. That's when I did too. So that's, yeah. that's wow. And you taught um, literature? In, like writing, like writing. Just basic, okay. like essays and stuff. <laughs> Very See, boring. Not pretentious. <laughs> you said the word stuff. I love it. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I as teach I taught teenagers mostly high school also middle school but I think yeah it's more the feedback is more immediate <laughs> and before that actually I had what helped me prepare for teaching was performing um, music in front of drunk oh. strangers and bars <laughs> so and I actually I did that just the other night for the first time in years and it, it, that's something that talk about um, well it can be both 
humbling, but also like you get you get like a, an adrenaline rush and your ego mm -hmm. gets inflated a bit because like when it's going well, like oh, I'm awesome, but when it's not going <laughs> well, yeah, it sucks. Um, yes. <laughs> all right. Well. So, all yeah. right. What you got for? And you don't have to go in any certain order. We go out of order all the time on this. Awesome. I think this was my immediately I knew this was going to be my number one question. So as a YouTuber, do you think that your channel name's similarity to Mr. Beast has been a net positive or a net negative in your life? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're the first person to ever ask me that in one of these. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I I did have someone ask me in, in person uh, this once, and I said kind of 50-50. Um, but the more I think about it, I think it might be more like 60, 40 as a positive because like, mm. it, you know, I, at first when this, you know, cause I started my channel before Mr. Beast, I have been around, I, one of the OG, uh, yeah, that was a little cringe saying that, but OG <laughs> YouTubers, I said it again. Yeah. Like I, I had a YouTube channel in 2006 and my educate, my first educational video I ever made was 2009. And then I first make, made them public in 2011. And so like, then Mr. Beast comes along and I, and I was like, oh, this is annoying. Um, but also there's a, there's other Mr. Beats apparently. Like there's this guy in Mexico that's a Mr. Beat. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that's his real name, but Matt Beat is my name. And that's what my students call me because it was my name or it is my name. And so I kind of just like so many people accidentally type in Mr. Beat when they search on not only YouTube, but, but Google. And it has helped me because I've actually had comments where people say, hey, uh, I accidentally I was looking for Mr. Beast, but um, stumbled upon you accidentally. And I stuck around. I enjoy the content. Nice. So, yeah, it worked out. So I, I, I do. I've heard that feedback and I, I can't really complain. <laughs> so, that is genuinely really surprising to me. I would find it so irritating. <laughs> sometimes it is. Well, what's more in What's more irritating to me is the so-called, uh, I've had heard other YouTubers call it this, um, Mr. Beastification of this site, of, right. of YouTube in particular, because there's a certain style he has um, to just, it's all about attention. Mm -hmm. And you and I, we do not have that style. We have like a laid back, like, okay. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, like that's annoying. And I, even like uh, I was talking in the last episode of this with uh Heimler, Mr. Heimler of Heimler's History, he's a, like me, does history content. He uh, he found himself doing a lot of what Mr. Beast does. And it's, you know, he's trying to capture the attention of high schoolers. And it's, he's like, well, it works. And, um, and I was talking about like how I've been kind of resistant to that. But over time, people, it's one of those things. It's, uh, I think my, my stuff's a, an acquired taste. Somebody who watches it for the first time is going to be maybe like, who, who the heck is this guy? Um, do you like, yeah, do you like, uh, what are your comments like from people who have never watched your stuff before who you could tell is like a 12 year old, like, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I get a lot of like nice, like, I don't know who this woman is, but I want her to be my teacher. I guess I give off like vibes, um, teacher that are, vibes. yeah. And very like a lot of comments about my voice people tend to find my voice very pleasing to listen to but also i guess uh i have developed somewhat of a vocal fry as well which i'm very self-conscious of now that people have pointed it out 
but um but yeah not a lot of first timers talking about like the style i guess or the content mostly just like good vibes or bad vibes yeah that's good um well before before we go to the second question i i guess i'll like i got a super chat so i might as well throw this on there um thank you so much youtube copy and because they have they're at work they have to uh, I guess we can go ahead and answer this now. Uh, what is the best slash weirdest experience you've had as a teacher? Uh, I might make you go first because I need oh. to. I've had less less experiences, so there's fewer to pick from, which makes it harder. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it's a. Uh, that's a two different, two different distinct categories there. But um, I would say I. I loved anytime like I can incorporate music into the classroom. I would sometimes bust out my guitar or my keyboard and start singing. And the students, like they never would have admitted it at the time, but I think usually they appreciated the fact that I was trying to do something different. And um, so I, those are kind of the best experiences, the weirdest. I mean, every day, I, that's one of the cool things I think about the profession is you just don't know what you're, you're going to get every day. It's every day is a little weirder. No day is the same. I don't know. <laughs> I think my best experience was it was actually before I started teaching like officially in the classroom I was still I was working at this like after school um or like over the summer like non-traditional sort of school situation and I was working with these middle schoolers and the lesson that I had to do that day was about poetry and like reading and analyzing poetry and of course I was working with like 11, 12 year old boys who are not really known for their love of poetry. And uh, so I was really struggling to like get um, this one kid to, to get it. And I ended up having to like sit down with him and like break it down literally like word by word and think about like, okay, so, you know, what is this word? Like, what is the image that this is evoking? And how, like, what does that image make you feel? How do you think that the poet may have been using that, etc. And at the end of the lesson, I mean, this was like 20 to 30 minutes straight of word by word. At the end of it, this boy just looked at me and was like, oh, wow. And it was like seeing that light bulb moment yeah. in this boy of like, holy cow, like he understands this. And like, he may or may not it you know it might not have stuck or whatever but just seeing that in the moment of him appreciating what this poem meant was just like wow <laughs> yeah that's what it's all about yeah we uh even if it wasn't like a genuine thing the fact that he showed it that's, mm -hmm. that's yeah that's pretty yes. cool <clears throat> cool uh, i oh thank you also jay brian anderson just, uh, yeah, I, I guess I have to ask my poetry question here. Um, so yeah, you end your videos with poems. You're mm -hmm. a poet yourself. Um, do you end your videos with your poems at all? Yes, okay, they, are, not... they are always my poems. Wow, you just blew my mind. Because <laughs> the way that you frame it doesn't seem that way. It's like, oh, here's a poem that I picked. So those are yours. Well, okay, yeah. then they're really good. Um <laughs> Now, but that that said, I over time have grown to appreciate poetry as you know. When I was younger, I admit I was I was one of those typical boys that like, you know, poetry is so lame. Yeah. And so um, my question is, 
<laughs> this is so related to what you just said. So I was kind of laughing earlier. Um, how would you convince 18 year old me that poetry is cool? <laughs> so I think the standard boring answer to this would be to use song lyrics. And that's something that is very popular in the internet is like, well, poetry is just song lyrics. You can just use song lyrics to convince kids, kids that it's cool. Um, I disagree with that. And that might, that is sort of a hot take when it, in the, some of the circles um, that I'm in, but song lyrics and poetry are not the same. Some song lyrics are poetic. I would say a lot of the work of um, Alt-J is very poetic. The Decemberists are very poetic, um, oh, yeah. which believe it or not, like the, the lead singer of the Decemberists has a degree in creative writing, which, hmm, who would have thought? I knew that. Um, I saw the oh, Decemberists oh. live in 2004, by the way. Oh, are they City. good live? Oh, amazing. It was one of the best shows I ever saw. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that shows how so, old I am now. Yeah. Um, so I think what I would do instead is find poetry that is uh, like new. I wouldn't use like Shakespeare. Though, I mean, you could use Shakespeare. Actually, now that I say that, I would use Shakespeare. I would use his sonnet, My Lover's Hair is Nothing Like the Sun. Um, because it's literally like, hey, my girlfriend is ugly and I don't care. I still really like her, um, which is very funny. Um, and relevant. And relevant. I mean, not for me. I'm just saying, uh, I, uh, Mrs. B, I didn't mean like, you know what I mean? Like, okay. <laughs> I, You know what I mean, right? I, I'm just trying to like, you know. It is you know. a norm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of even like love songs and stuff are very like, you're perfect. You're, you know, can do no wrong. And he and Shakespeare is like, nah, nah. Yeah. Well, it's just. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's what I would use. I think just seeing someone or like, you know, um, I think what the relevant part is the like seeing someone loving someone for who they truly are not the superficial reasons we tend to like um, exactly gosh that sounded bad though anyway yeah <laughs> i so great answer i never would have expected shakespeare would be a, a way to get 18 year old me to <laughs> get into poetry so nice all right our um, oh, oh gosh oh now i have to decide which of my things to pick um okay so this is sort of related to that super chat that we got. Um, so I think that a universal experience in teaching is having one of those moments in the classroom, whether it's like a conversation with a student or a lesson goes really well, that you feel like, holy cow, I love this job. Um, hopefully many teachers have had this. Many teachers that I've talked to have moments where they are like, wow, this is my calling. I love teaching so much. So for you, what was that light bulb moment of, wow, I love being an educator? Well, I do love telling stories. And one of the, my favorite things was like telling a cool story and getting that real-time reaction that I can't quite get in the comment section of YouTube. But I do miss that. Like, um, I really got into like telling the stories of the assassinations of presidents. That's something I was just mm. always fascinated with myself growing up. And so like I had this big presentation and like, I even like rehearsed it beforehand. And um, although, you know, as you, as you know, teaching these days is much more student centered. They, they kind of like, 
you don't, a teacher doesn't typically just spoon feed the information anymore. It's more skills based, yada, yada. But I mean, sometimes the kids just want to like, they want a little break. And then when you have every, the attention of every person in the room, even the kid that typically does not pay attention, their heads down or they're, you know, on their phone in their pocket. Um, <laughs> that, that's the stuff I loved. Um, and that, you know, didn't happen very often, but made up for some of the other stuff. Nice. Um, you know, along the way though, you, you, the thing is, um, we do it for the, for the, the people, the relationships that you, you form. Um, so that's what I miss the most from leaving the classroom. I, I, I don't feel like I get that from my discord server the same or my, um, comment sections. Mm. Uh, what about you though? What, like, what do you, what do you miss the most from, um, since you, it's, yeah. you've been out of the classroom as long as me. I I miss the students. And I think, I don't know if it is different. It probably is, um, but not in a way that I am able to like quantify or describe um, the difference between teaching children versus teaching adults. Um, and especially because like I only ever had my students for a single semester at a time because of the way that colleges work. Um, oh, yeah. And so it was always so sad <laughs> you know you get like 16 weeks with this person and then they're gone but uh i loved being on campus and being able to like see students just like around school and and like talking to them as you know adult to adult uh after they left my class and just i don't know yeah i think the people really is the the thing that you can't get with youtube yeah we all kind of experienced it collectively during the pandemic Yes. I mean, I, yeah, I came back and taught uh, half and half, like half my students were online, the other half were in the classroom. This was in, uh, you know, the fall of 2020. And we were trying to do it and everyone had masks, although a lot of the students weren't even wearing the mask properly. And it was, it was very stressful, but I was just so happy. We were all just so happy to be in the same room as each other. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, that something so simple could be, um, and you know, it's weird also that, I would say there was a certain percentage of people that thrived being at home. And like mm -hmm. during the pandemic, they're like this, I hope the world never opens up. And so we, and I think that also we all became more aware of that. Like, Hey, <laughs> not everybody's social. Um, yes. So yeah. Um, I, I, I found a lot of silver lining during the pandemic actually. Um, like for one, um, I sleep more. Before the pandemic, I did not sleep much. Um, let's see if I have some, a segue here for the third question. <laughs> I never do, but... Uh... <laughs> hmm. Yeah, there's not one. So I'll just switch gears. Okay. Um, I... Okay. I've said this uh, before in a live stream, and, and actually, I think in one of my videos where... Um, I, I say, I don't have an agenda for my viewer other than just, I want you to learn. And I feel like when I say that, um, a bit of a, like a fraud, it's like, maybe I do, like maybe subconsciously I do have an agenda, like, and I just, I'm just not uh, aware of it, you know? Um, so do you think about that? Like my actual question is what is your agenda for your videos? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> hmm. I think my 
agenda is to get people to ask questions. Mm. Um, I think what I try to do is not necessarily like give people answers to questions, but to show them because like people don't know what they don't know. Right. And so they need to be made aware of, you know, big structures, big issues, et cetera, um, so that they can then start asking questions about them. Like, oh, I wonder why some of these things work the way they do. I wonder, you know, and a lot of the way that I try to frame it is around language because I'm, you know, a writing teacher. Uh, so everything is language and everything is like, okay, so why, like when people say parents write, what do they actually mean? Let's investigate that. Let's ask some questions rhetorically about the language that people are using. Um, and like I did a video, I'm just looking back through my uploads. I did a video about like conservative poetry and it's like, okay, let's ask some questions about why we think that these conservatives wrote this poetry in this way. Um, so I would say that I think asking questions and also very, very stereotypical answer, but like learning how to be kind. <laughs> um, I think I think kindness and curiosity are like the two agendas, my nefarious agendas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, spreading empathy. I mean, I always, I've said that before and I, people are like, oh, that's cheesy. And, but I mean, it's true. And if we spread empathy, that's going to make it more likely that our species survives. And so I think ultimately yes. that's, that's more of the realistic, I think, greedy, incentive like hey uh i want us all to be around and generate a few generations at least um yeah no you had a really good answer though i mean and maybe maybe i have a better answer myself like because i mean we're trying to just get get people kind of i'm, I'm kind of just like i don't want people too comfortable with their mm -hmm. beliefs their values mm -hmm. like I, that's the contrarian in me i think that i'm always just questioning yeah myself like you said yeah so um i think i'm going to steal your answer for when someone asks me that in the future okay. which i allow mean? it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um all right so for my question number three what was the moment that you felt like you had made it as a youtuber and if you have if you don't feel that what would make you feel like you had made it? Uh, yeah. I think I kind of felt that um, when, for some, I know this is kind of a lame answer, but I, my local, um, like my local press covered me. Like mm -hmm. I was in, uh, I'm, I live in Lawrence. It's about, it's a town of about a hundred thousand people just outside of Kansas city in, the there's a magazine that you know that profiled me and uh the, the newspaper did a story on me and all this stuff and i felt like wow um and the fact that you know i after that i go around town and people will recognize me and say they enjoy my stuff so i guess that i guess i i would say yeah like it's kind of ongoing since that started mm -hmm. maybe three years ago or something um but i think i'm always hungry for more as like uh, I always want to have more of an impact because um, I, I just feel like there's just so much wrong with the world that and all these problems need to be solved. And as long as there's problems, I'm just like, I guess I'm never satisfied 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, some people are purely like I've had, um, who was it? Professor Dave, I did an episode with this and he, he kind of was like more b- candid about his response to something like, like he's like, you know, we've got to pay the bills. So you're trying to make more money for secure yeah. economic security. And to me, like, um, obviously that's part of it. That kind of drives you as well. Cause you, you, you want to make sure that you have, you can pay the bills, but at the same time, also like at the end of the day, that's not, you're still going to feel pretty empty. I think it's about, um, you know, you're a cause, a greater mm-hmm. cause, a mission, a purpose. And yeah, that sounds cheesy as well, but yeah, we all have, yeah. It's like, what, what is your purpose? And then that brings happiness when you find your purpose, purpose in a community in particular. So would you believe that I have still never been recognized in public? I'm uh, dreading that, it. <laughs> I'm dreading the moment it happens. Oh, yeah. That's surprising. Um, yeah, I want to see, like with me, a lot of people know that I live here. And so mm-hmm. so maybe if, if you like, you know, you're in the, you keep a, on the DL where you live. Because um, otherwise, I bet you, like, because <laughs> they, I bet you people have come across you and they're like, Oh, they look familiar. They look very familiar. Where do I know them from? Or people were just too intimidated to come up to you. Cause I mean, you're Am I intimidating. Uh, well, I don't <laughs> think so, but like, yeah, like, I mean, over, you have over what? 250,000 now or two, something? 272 yeah, is what the number says. Surely somebody has come across you. Cause I think I was at a hundred thousand when I, I got the first person that recognized me. Hmm. So it's yeah. No. It's going to I'm terrified of it. (laughs) Why are you terrified of it though? I'm just, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to react. And I also, I just don't really like being like what I feel like now, if I say this, people will never come up to me, but I don't like being talked to in public. I'm there to like do Um, what I need to do and and get home. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've had people at the gym come up to me, like when I'm in the Mm. middle of like grunting and stuff and, but they're still respectful. They wait till I'm done with my set. Then they come up to me, but yeah, like, um, honestly, I love talking to people that watch my stuff. It's like talking mm. to myself. It's that's very conceited, I know, but like, because well, they have they have the sh- same interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you know, like oh, you like, because I can't talk about this stuff with everyone. You know, yeah. we all that's our um, niche that we're all part of. Um, yes. <laughs> all right. Um, oh, I better get these super chats because people. Um, thank you so much, Jerry Ford. <laughs> Would Ulysses Grant have won a third term in eighteen eighty? No, he would not. Um, he was not popular enough. That's why I dropped out of the race. Well, uh, uh, still alive. Good to see you. Um, and good to see you're, that you're still alive. That was a dark joke. Sorry. Are either of you too familiar with Howard Zinn's A People's History of the U.S.? Is it an accurate book or are you? I've answered this question before, so I, I'll just let you. Are you familiar with Howard Zinn at all? I have read excerpts. I have I have the ebook copy of it. I've never actually read it all the way through. Um and I wouldn't know if it's accurate because I don't have a background in history. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think most of it is. I think it's just slanted. And mm-hmm. but honestly, it was slanted and like it needed to be slanted because you needed something to like challenge. That's how history is, though. It's always like constantly like here's one interpretation. Here's another. And that, con- you know, contradicts it. And they're just battling. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think. uh it's weird that I get that question a lot. Um, and Aaron L., thank you so much. As a graduate student in the last year of my PhD, I've got my fair share of teaching in. 
what's the most valuable skill you developed in your teaching careers for YouTube and or life? What a great question, Erin. Um, I think, I mean, this is sort of, I guess, similar to the answer to the, my answer to the first question that I think explaining things well, breaking things down, making sure that I have an understanding of where people are coming from so that I can meet them there to then explain things further. That's a big one. Yeah, for me also, I, I agree, but also like being um, adaptable, being able to like, because mm. <laughs> things are always going to yes. go wrong. Not, they're not going to go as you planned. Um, and laid back. Kind of, and someone who, like an underrated skill I think uh, teachers need to have to survive in the profession is you have to be able to get along with or at least tolerate all personality types and yes. kind of see the good in everyone too. Like you, the good is in there. Um, Sometimes you have to dig a little deep, but it's there. <laughs> All right. So next up, we're just going to dive into the PragerU questions, I think. Um, as we said earlier, both that's one of our common commonalities is we have videos kind of uh, debunking or uh, analyzing <laughs> PragerU videos. I mean, the, the vast, what's crazy is the vast majority of PragerU videos are harmless, in my opinion. Like they're, mm -hmm. um, but the few ones that are horrible just kind of, yeah, they, uh, and so you just have to specifically call those out. Um, so my question is, what do you think about the value of exposing who donates to PragerU? Because what I recently found out is that they, um, in recent years have gotten $65 million worth of donations. And I did the math, a uh, hundred thousand people approximately is who donated all that. That's $650 per person. To me, that's a red flag saying, Hey, we probably had a few millionaires in there. Um, well, so it's, it's go ahead. Yeah. So there, because one of the hazards of the job, as I like to call it, is that I have signed up for all of their like email alerts, text notifications, because I need to be aware of, you know, when new stuff drops, just in case it's terrible. Um, and so I get emails about their yearly galas that they throw. So they throw these galas, usually either in like Palm Beach or in um, LA. And uh, tickets are like $5,000 is the lowest. Wow. Uh, but you can buy the like $10 million tickets in order to get like a special whatever something. I don't remember. Uh, so yeah, they most certainly have incredibly wealthy people who donate to them. I think that would uh, be for I, one year, $65 million for one year. Oh, oh, that's even worse. Oh, I, I... <sighs> I don't know enough about how a lot of these sorts of things like nonprofit finance works. Um, but I imagine that there is some sort of like, you know, quote unquote, like dark money trail um, that you could connect between them and some other groups like the ADF or um, any of those other groups. Uh, they are what, what the Alliance mean? Defending Freedom. Oh, they're oh, a oh. yeah, huge. They've gotten involved with Supreme Court cases. I've uh, I am yeah, sort of sneak peek for my next video. Uh, I'm going to be talking about them and their effect on the public school system because yeah, they have their hands in all of those Supreme Court cookie jars, which is 
fun. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was, I don't know if that is a good enough answer. It felt sort of like a non-answer. Well, <laughs> so maybe you're saying it's maybe it's just it's too difficult for us to expose. Because I mean, I always say follow the money. It's mm -hmm. kind of cliche, but it's a lot of times um, people that lean to the left they don't have the same money behind them. And it makes sense because, um, you know, they're challenging the status quo often. So I just wonder um, if more people realized even fundamentally like, hey, um, incentives matter. And maybe the ones who are on this, you know, promoting these certain uh, right-wing talking points, uh, maybe they don't have your interests um in mind maybe they have yeah. their interests in mind <laughs> yeah like the the wilkes brothers famously donated mm -hmm. lots of money to both prager you and um daily wire <laughs> and i know you've touched on ben shapiro before as well and his empire and they have like i know prager you alone has i believe an estimated between 75 and 100 employees at least mm -hmm. probably more at this point but what's crazy though is i just looked it up their subscriber count has not really gone up the past year Mm. their videos like they don't really that's get as much as you think. yeah so i i think that's a you know i think you and i deserve a little bit of credit for that because like they don't have the reputation they once had you know just pat ourselves on the back back there <laughs> uh yeah so anyway um i'm trying to think i do have at least one Oops. two prager you questions well so I, yeah this one is related so why do you think that there is no sort of like left-leaning version of PragerU? And I know you mentioned money, um, but is there any other reason for that? And if there were a left-leaning version of PragerU, what do you think that it would look like? How do you think that it would manifest? Yeah. Uh, I mean, technically, a lot of people said that the Gravel Institute was supposed to be um, the left version of PragerU and um, Gravel Institute. Are you familiar with it? I remember, I remember seeing them like a couple years ago, but they sort of fell off the map. For they did. Me, they, ha least. they haven't posted it in probably at least a year. I, I checked mm -hmm. on it the other day um, because their style is similar to PragerU. They have like the very similar graphics and stuff. Um, and they have like a rotation of, um, you know, authors and, politicians and stuff. Um, maybe the latest channel I think that's similar is um, there's a channel called More Perfect Union, I think. it's And there are more blue collar issues, like more labor rights. Um, but I mean, that's the thing, though. It's not like PragerU is like they cover it all. Like it's not just uh, the, the wedge issues that we typically think like transgender and abortion all this like it's um they have a i mean they have a video oh you already i'm i'm preaching to the choir here but for the audience yeah like they they've covered every possible like social sciences topic you can imagine there's nothing like that um on the left side and if they did have something like that i feel like they're I just don't know if it would work. I can't really, I can't really um, explain why though. I mean, do you, do you think it could even work? <laughs> well, yeah, cause I wonder, 
I know that um, Innuendo Studios has put out some like short sort of explainer videos in a it's like sort of like hand-drawn cartoony sort of style um and he i think it was him it was either him or an h bomber guy video i don't remember um but there was someone who i was watching a video a couple years ago and they were talking about how one of the issues with like debunking prager you or well with debunking prager you is that the amount of like lies per minute is so high and the thing about unless you were okay with just lying all the time uh it's hard to make the volume of content at the speed at which they make it unless you're okay with just lying all the time um it's a lot easier to make stuff when you don't care if it's accurate or if you you know you have a like very clear slant to it all um and so I think that might be, though, I don't know, that does sort of feel like a cliche, like it's because we have integrity and they don't. <laughs> and I think that's like, that's a little, you know, not necessarily 100% accurate, but. Um, yeah, I, there are definitely people on the left end that at the very least stretch the truth and especially the um, the talk show hosts, like. Yes. <laughs> the hyperbolic language usually is like. The, the Republicans are all fascists, all that, that type of stuff. I'm like, dude, you're no, I'm like, look up what fascism means. But I mean, yeah, I think the st stylistically, I think that there's some people commenting actually, like, what about, um, there's a channel called, uh, in, 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 yeah, Innuendo Studios. Yeah. 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 Alt right playbook. Uh, yeah. His videos are really good. I like them a lot. Uh, second thought who, who i've actually reacted to and i've uh mess messaged him a couple times uh yeah um i don't know yeah it's uh it's one of those things too that like i think there are those on the left who are willing to lie but maybe i don't know it, it, they're just we just don't know about them <laughs> i do so i do really quick want to uh issue a correction i just looked up the ticket prices for the prager Ugala. Oh. the general admission ticket i'm sorry is not five thousand dollars it's only fifteen hundred dollars oh big difference yeah, <laughs> and yeah. angel oh, sponsorship the angel sponsorship uh that you have to like private message them about doing is a million dollars so they they cap it theoretically at a million dollars uh that's the information on the gala. I just wanted to make it clear uh, the details on that. That's my, imagine if we did something like that for our YouTube channels, like, and, and we, we're, we're nonprofit, you know, like yep. it all, it all goes back into the, the business. Well, yeah, $1,375 <laughs> of that general admission ticket is tax deductible. See, that's, <laughs> that's a whole new topic that I have problems with, but yeah. Well, I do have my next question is also prayer use, so I might as well ask it. Um, I noticed that um, a lot of the success of our videos and others who have criticized Prager U have actually come from folks already biased against Prager U, if you know what I mean. Like, so I mean, it's it's kind of the, the old problem of like people are gonna watch if they kind of already at least somewhat agree with you. And yes. so my question is. How do we reach fans of Prager U, like legit fans? 
That's a good question that I wish I knew the answer to. Um, I think the way I try to do it, and I don't know how successful it is, but the way I try to do it is by um, talking about them in good faith as much as possible. Um, and so like I, I tried to do that in and talking about them in their terms, because a lot of people, I, I'll just give an example. So in my video, How PragerU Hurts Students and Teachers, I talked about the PragerU lesson plans yes. um, that they have available for free on their website. And the reason I talked about it is because PragerU Kids is now a resource that teachers are allowed to use in several states. Uh, with more coming, they say, um, so it felt relevant. So I, instead of looking at the content of the lessons, because that's something that people talk about a lot is the like content, the like historical content of the videos, the like political content of the videos. Instead of the content, I wanted to look at the like pedagogy of it. And like, is this actually a quality teaching resource? And I used the criteria that PragerU themselves set for their content. So it was like, we want our content to do ABC. So I'm like, okay, let's see if this actually does do ABC. Uh, spoiler alert, it didn't. Um, <laughs> and I actually, I think that this was evidence that I was doing something right, because I actually got a lot of pushback from people who were like, who were otherwise in agreement with me, who were like, no, you can't separate the content from the structure. You can't avoid talking about the politics and just focus on whether it's a valid educational resource or not. And I feel like to the people who felt that way, they sort of missed the point of the video. Like everybody knows if you're, you know, on this side, quote unquote, everybody knows that the content sucks. Um, there are a thousand videos talking about the content. Yeah. <laughs> right. Literally. So like, there's nothing that I can do that is new and interesting. And it's not going to change any minds. If it was going to change minds, it would have done that already. So I decided to do things using their terms and do it in as good faith as I could. Um, I, I, again, I don't know if it worked. I did get some comments uh, from people saying that like they otherwise agree with PragerU, but wow, these lesson plans do suck. So maybe they're not as good as I think they are, which like that's a good sign, but I don't know if it's enough. <sighs> Yeah, it's a, I think it, I saw that video it was really good. And I, I think at the core of it was that they said they were going to teach skills, even not even critical thinking, like we're talking at the, in terms of Bloom's taxonomy, like just basic skills, and they weren't even accomplishing that. No. So yeah, like, like, if you look, if you want them to know your propaganda, you need to like do this, like, you, like it's like you were giving them advice. <laughs> so like, <laughs> People could argue that you were helping them in that video, by the way. I mean, honestly, PragerU, because I, I know you're listening. If you want to hire me and pay me millions of dollars to make your lesson plans, I probably won't, but <laughs> anyway, oh, I would be flattered to to even be approached. <laughs> you have integrity. But yeah, you could, yeah. If, if you're in there, you could be like a spy. You know, you oh, could, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's too late to be a spy. I guess your face is all over these PragerU videos. Oh, but damn I it. mean, 
<laughs> I did look into that once. I did look up. Oh, how many? How much money does uh, these typical employees of PragerU make? And from what I can understand, they do pay fairly well. That's um, good. Like a good company to work for. I, mean, I think a lot of things that like um, I say the same thing about Fox News. I think a lot of these Fox News anchors who say outlandish things like I think if you were just a, you know, even like Sean Hannity, I, I think one on one, he would be a pretty reasonable person and a nice guy. Um, but he knows what he has to say. He knows yeah. how to get those ratings. And same thing with Tucker Carlson, who now, I mean, it seems like he's become more irrelevant um, since he left because it's. <laughs> yeah, so like, um, but they just, you know, they're just trying to get the money. They're going for the money, yeah. and it's part of me is like, well, I can understand, like, because uh, that's at the end of the day, so many people are just trying to survive, and <laughs> they're just like, sure, they want the world to be a better place, but first and foremost, they want to take care of their families and, yes. and all this. So, all right, it's your turn. <laughs> all right, so my oh, my tablet just shut off. My second. And last, I only got two because, I don't know. My second PragerU question is, what is your favorite PragerU video? And this can either be one that you actually think is, like, not bad, or it can be the one that you, like, love to hate the most. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, what was it? The uh, There was a, uh, I think it was a Civil War video that they did, and I actually... Um, I think it was, if I remember correctly, I, I could be wrong, but they had a, a war, uh, like a, a video about the Civil War that was pretty good. Um, and I used to show it to my students because I back then I didn't know. Like a lot of teachers fell for this stuff. Like they just thought it was only educational content. Um, and I'm trying to find this specific video. I don't remember what which one it was. Dang it. That is so interesting to me that they like thought it was genuine educational content. That's just really interesting. Well, a recent one they did is that, oops, sorry. Uh, the recent one they did that was, uh, I reacted to it on Twitch was, it, um, cause I, I do this every Monday. I just, a lot of times I end up reacting, reacting to a prayer video, but they had one about, um, the, it was for kids and it was just about voting and I was like, there's actually nothing wrong with this video. I wouldn't mind, you know, my own students seeing this. So like I said earlier, a lot of times most of their videos are harmless. It's just that, you know, then they'll like all of a sudden throw at you. Like I'm just looking at their, I I'm going to share the screen actually so we can all see what I'm looking at. Um, because um, most of the content is fairly benign until boom, all of a sudden like, okay, uh, like the one that I was checking out today, I, I didn't watch the whole thing. I was like, oh, should I watch this for a, a react was should sexual books be allowed in schools? And obviously that one's probably going to do really well. Um, but then look at this, like the one they just released 18 minutes ago, just 638 views. Mm -hmm. It's just a podcast with Prager, Dennis Prager. That's probably boring. But um, actually, I'm kind of surprised how some like that one has 802,000. That's surprising. Yeah. Um, but uh, very odd. Oh, okay. Like here's one um, about anxiety. And I think I haven't watched it, but there's a, a legit, this appears to be a legit doctor talking about anxiety. I'm sure that's a harmless video. They're trying to say, Hey, um, you know, here's, a, or maybe they're saying, Hey, they're downplaying anxiety. I don't know, but they do I, have, videos, well. <laughs> they have videos that um, sometimes are just, 
Okay, investing in bonds. Like, yeah, here's how to invest your your money uh, smartly. Uh, and then they just throw this at you. Sex is binary. But right after that, they have a video. See, that has 1.1 million views. Of course it does. But then the video before that was, what is an economy? Just a basic 101, like 10,000 views. Can <laughs> I can I ask a little follow-up question? Yeah. That doesn't, I don't think it counts as a full question, but do you think that they are using the more like unobjectionable videos as a sort of like Trojan horse to be like, look, we're like totally normal as a way to like bring in the more radical ones? Absolutely. Okay. I think there's no doubt. I mean, would you agree with that? I mean, I think so. I, I worry, I try to keep myself not like conspiratorial and so i i try to give people the benefit of the doubt uh i'm not going to give Gregor you the benefit of the doubt um because they have enough stuff but like i just wasn't sure i guess how like explicit that goal is to them like whether that is just a side effect or whether that is like the full goal oh i mean i don't think it's the full goal but i think it's definitely part like they want to be seen i mean the fact that they call themselves a university yeah i think is pretty revealing <laughs> um because they're not not like the definition of a university is not what they are no <laughs> they even say like at the bottom of every video and at the bottom of their website prager u is not an accredited university and they only did that after the all the complaints that was something mm -hmm. that later yeah i um I've had people say the same thing about my content. They said, because I mostly have explainer videos, but then occasionally I'll have a video where I say, hey guys, this is my opinion. So you don't have to agree with me. Um, let me know what you think, particularly on the electoral college. I'm very strong with my opinion about the electoral college being bad. Um, and they're like, oh, this is like, this is your agenda. And, uh, but the thing is, it's not, it really isn't. Because I swear, like, most of my opinions are actually kind of boring. Um, <laughs> seriously, like, you know how they do those polls? Pew Research does polls on, like, um, where do you stand on this political issue? And I'm always with the majority. Like, <laughs> almost always. I just So, like, I'm not, like, this radical revolutionary trying to, like, brainwash a generation. I'm just, like, kind of what we were talking about earlier. Spread empathy. Try to get people to question things and critically think. And Well, and I think what may come as a surprise to a lot of people is that the majority does actually tend toward, I don't want to say like, you know, like a leftist beliefs, because I don't think that's true. But like, the majority of people do want better health care. The majority of people do support gay marriage and trans rights. Like, the majority of people are supportive of a lot of these things. It just feels like they're not because of a lot of the like, major narratives. Um that yeah. we hear on the news. Yeah, yeah. The, the news that's corporate-backed and kind of status quo often. Yes. And so they want to protect what's already there. So, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's. I think a better word is just um, more forward-thinking. Like, yeah, this, that's this a good idea. Change is change is something that we have to accept, and I'm actually going to make a video about that too someday. Oh, nice. I've been putting it off. Like, why do people fear change? It's really a an important question. To anyway, uh, okay, number six. We're keeping it moving along here, um, so we don't go for five hours. 
So, and this is, yeah, we're taking, and it's not PragerU anymore. So, um, you, back to that video that you recently released, it just like, that was kind of like the video I was watching. I was like, you know what? I really, it's cool to have a conversation um, with her about this. Um, and so then we reached out to you. <laughs> um, but yeah, why don't children's rights get more attention? Maybe the answer is obvious, but. I think that people tend to have a very reductive and like bioessentialist view of humans uh, and how humans work. And they see children as not able to make their own decisions. Um, and I would say that the way that people view rights is also part of the issue because of course one of the comments that I got a lot um, or type of comments that I got a lot on that video was like oh so you're saying that we should like allow three-year-olds to just smoke and drink all the time it's like okay what what part of my video do you think that that was what I was arguing um, yeah yeah <laughs> and so it's this idea that by giving children more autonomy and by giving them more control and say over their own lives and their own humanity, um, that that suddenly means you're just releasing the floodgates and allowing them to do whatever they want. But really it's more about, I guess like liberation in the philosophical sense of being like free from fear and coercion because I think that's the issue is like children are being like coerced in ways that are harmful. Um, like I talked about that in my video about like the grading system and why I think that like a lot of the ways that the educational system is set up is just like bad for students um, and that they deserve more autonomy. So um, I don't know if that really answers your question, I guess, because it's just complicated and and we see kids as less than humans um i don't know i feel like that's not a very good answer <laughs> oftentimes, oftentimes the same no it's a good answer oftentimes the same people who like shout so much about fetuses like they have the same rights the right to, li to live they have human rights too and you know they, they can have compelling arguments in my opinion a lot of people disagree with me but you know, because like, when does life truly begin all this? And it gets philosophical. But then once they're out of the womb, all of a sudden, like, oh, no, they're your slave. <laughs> like, it's weird. And like, yes. the, the thing that I can't get over is how, you know, during the pandemic, we had all this extra funding to provide free school lunches to every kid. Like, and um, that was such a wonderful thing. Like, I have two daughters and uh, we can afford it. But just the fact that they're, I mean, nobody, there's that, that stigma wasn't there anymore. Cause you know, you know how it is. Those kids that have free and reduced lunch, they try to hide it, but they never. See, I, for better or worse, the area that I grew up in and like where I went to all of public school K through 12 was a poor enough area that every single student got free and reduced lunch. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, we were in a, basically a socialist utopia where all children got to eat. 
Uh, does your audience know where you're from? Can I yeah, this, the socialist utopia of West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah, the irony of the, <laughs> this day, like they're very depend. The state's very dependent on federal yeah. funding. Very big uh, welfare state. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, so I don't know what it, like to me. It's the same thing with older people. I noticed this during the pandemic. Like, there's a certain age that people get where all of a sudden, like, society's like doesn't value them as much because they're old, and I guess they can't get down up and down the stairs very quickly anymore because like covid we, this is something i think a lot of people don't talk about but covid covid 19 was mostly an old person's disease like the people that died were old people mostly um and to me like i saw like a lot of younger people that just didn't care yeah. oh they're old anyway i'm like no like um you know the um spanish flu that happened 100 years prior was mostly younger people that died. And I think that, mm. that, that I, I, it's hard to compare the two pandemics. Also, it killed a lot more people as well, but I, and there was never a vaccine. And that's why, like so many older people have survived because of vaccines. I just feel um, like nursing homes were so sad. Like, yeah. and I feel like they were treated like second-class citizens. And I, I like the, um, I'll hold off on my next question that's related to this, but I just feel the two groups that are still, well, I mean, transgender as well, which is they're finally starting to get a little bit more rights. And then there's now there's the reactionary period that we're living through backlash. But I think there, even when we hopefully make progress on that, there's the uh, I still think children just don't have the same rights as adults that they should. And it doesn't mean, yeah, like you said, it doesn't mean they get to do whatever they want. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> just like, like adults don't get to do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Um, and also, but also senior citizens, um, yeah. or for lack of a better way to put it, but, um, yeah, I think like elders and also, I mean, I, I want to make sure not to leave out like the giant group of disabled people who like also oh, yeah. the amount of rights. Cause I don't know how much you've researched into, um, like disability rights and disability, um, like social justice issues, but there are a lot of rights that they just do not have. Um, for one, a lot of disabled people, depending on like the, the benefits that they get, uh, if they get married, they do not any longer receive those benefits from the government. So they, the way that really? many of them describe it is that like they don't have the right to marriage because if they do get married, they lose all of their benefits. And a lot of the time their partner will not be able to support them um, themselves. So it's, yeah, it's, if you look into it at all, it is definitely really incredibly frustrating. Um, and another group that was just, and continues to be um, really just treated unwell um, throughout the the pandemic. So. Yeah, no, I just assumed that the, cause like, you know, the 1960s kind of ushered in like this mm -hmm. wave of like, um, it started with the civil rights movement. And then you had like um, the, uh, the farm farmers, a Hispanic Latino uh, movement out West. And then you had um, like the first time you had uh, homosexual rights being even talked about sixties and seventies. Um, and then a part of that was all in native Americans as well. Mm -hmm. Part of that was the, like the disability movement and yeah. like, um, like uh, it kind of culminated with uh, in the nineties um, with the disabilities 
uh, American with Disabilities okay, Act. Yeah. And, and a lot of people just think that the story ended there. Like, oh, they now yeah, have. It's fine. So like, you have to have wheelchair ramps. And so it's, yeah. it's all good. <laughs> it's all good, right? Yeah. So I, I think what you just told me, actually, is kind of, I kind of am embarrassed to think I didn't even realize that. So I need to research that more. Yeah, it's a whole, whole can of worms, as are many issues, I think, the further you look into yeah. them. All right, well, it's your turn, I think. Oh, gosh, I wasn't even thinking about questions. Okay, um, so I guess, uh, let's see, let's try and maybe bring it up a little bit. What is a moment in United States or world history that you would love to witness or be there for? <laughs> I have got this question in another episode. Oh, before, no. But... <laughs> I might give a different answer this time that when I said in a different episode, I said um, the uh, watching the largest explosion of all time, the mm. nuclear the hydrogen bomb, Tsar Bomba and um, the Soviet Union in 1961, I think would have been just like something that just really it's kind of like similar to, you know, staring at the stars, but like times 100 Um so, uh, but so on the other, the flip end, like maybe a societal thing, um, I think it would be really cool to just kind of like, um, march alongside Martin Luther King Jr. Like he's, he's pretty much my favorite historical figure. Um, like I, I, uh, I don't know. He was able to unite people in a way that it's the, especially living in the current era. Um, there's not a lot of figures that can do what he did. Mm. Um, but the other thing that's weird is that he wasn't as popular as we think back then. Um, and so that's another weird dynamic. I, I think the strange thing is like, I think I'm going to make a video about this too, but it seems really morbid. I'm a morbid kind of guy, but like, <laughs> it's kind of weird that we had all these political assassinations in the sixties and then even into all the way up to the eighties. And then mm -hmm. since then stopped. Like it's, um, and I think a big reason why is because people realized my, here's my hypothesis. I'm not saying uh, this is just throwing this idea out there, but they realize like, oh, you're actually like ideas, their ideas are, will live, will be stronger if you, mm -hmm. you, know, you turn them into a martyr. And like, it's the same thing with the Kennedys. Like today, the Kennedys are just so, um, but when I go back and like read, um, about you know like robert kennedy john f kennedy i mean they were all they were okay they're good but it's not like they were um you know like they were a hundred years ahead of their time um i mean i think teddy roosevelt was more ahead of their time than uh and someone tried to assa assassinate him by the way they didn't he survived and he still gets he just life. said nope <laughs> yeah 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 anyway uh where was i going with that was that your question? Oh yeah, Martin yeah. It was Luther yeah. Jr. What would you like to see? Yeah, so, yeah. So part the older I get, I think about like, well, was was Martin Luther King Jr. was Martin Luther King Jr. overrated? <laughs> because like again, he was assassinated. Because like we put this the, um, but at the same time, I do go back and I re like you. Uh, there's a lot of things that he um, really was like a hundred years ahead of his time. Like, mm -hmm. um. And we don't talk about it. We always talk about, oh, like the, the big speech in 1963, the, um, you know, judge people on the content of their character, not, not the color of their skin. Um, but the 
like the juicier stuff comes later, like uh, between 1965 and, his, mm-hmm. and 1968. Yeah, like he was yep. uh, pretty cool. Yeah. So so I encourage everyone to read to like read his speeches from the last few years of his life. Um, so because um, you can't say the same thing about the Kennedys or any of these other like he really was just a visionary. Yes. So. All right. Uh, while you're, well, before we do the seventh question, I, I, sorry, the super chats are kind of, uh, Jenk Uger, I think is how you pronounce his name, uh, running for president. Um, is he actually running? I've heard that like, he's not actually, but then like people are assuming, he, has he actually officially said that he is? I believe so. Okay. Yeah, I think he announced it on the young Turks, their show. Mm. Um, I saw like the little excerpt from it, but he, the thing I Googled afterwards, is was like, wasn't he born in Turkey? And sure enough, he was. And so I don't even think it's legal that he could run, run because the same problem he's going to come up against is that Arnold Schwarzenegger, a lot of people wanted him to be president, yeah. but he, he was also, you know, born in Austria. So, he, um, or was he born in, he was born in Europe. So yeah, I don't know. Um, he's definitely somebody, at least he's younger. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um. Oh, oh, wow. Another future teacher here. Um, and cool parrot. Wow. Um, cool. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you could have advice too for, for Zane if you want, but I would just say like uh, echo what I said earlier is you have to be able to get along with all types of personalities um, and being laid back is what's going to like <laughs> allow you to succeed in the profession, in my opinion. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, I I don't have much advice for high school teaching other than <laughs> I don't know maybe well I, I don't want to say things that'll get you fired so don't <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Never mind. be careful about what you post on social media for sure yeah that's yeah do that <laughs> um oh pray, uh, John Oliver's show is like to compare oh. you on the left I think to a certain extent but it's it's comedy though it's satire a lot of times yeah I think that. I would say the same thing about that as I would about like Colbert or John Stewart. John Stewart, that's his name. Yes, I don't watch very many of them because um, I'm not huge into like comedy, but um, I do like John Oliver. I think he's my my favorite of the group. But uh, but yeah, I think the fact that it's comedy makes it different. Um, but that's a good. I think he's one of the closest. Uh, options that we've listed so far yeah they definitely i i think can stretch the truth and misrepresent the other quote-unquote side but um and also hey uh, this person said mr best mr best and knowing better i already did an episode with knowing better we uh, he also used to be a teacher uh he taught high school social studies so check out that episode <laughs> all right um so my seventh question for you is, uh, we, act, yeah, related to the last question, I, I kind of uh, fear that, well, I won't say what I, I feel on this, but I'll wait till you, you answer first. Okay. Um, will there always be marginalized groups? So we talked about older people and children today, disability, people with disabilities, I think, and I feel like this is maybe where my lack of formal study of history and politics will maybe bite me in the ass, but um, 
I believe, and this feels a little spicy too. It's fine. Um, I believe that capitalism requires a marginalized class. So as long as there is capitalism, there was there will always be a marginalized class. Um, but I think that I think it's sort of like an asymptote, if you're familiar with the the graph that will constantly get closer and closer and closer to a line, but it will never actually touch it. I think that we can always do better and we will always continue to do better, but I don't know that things will ever be like 100% perfect just because humans aren't 100% perfect, but I think as a system, like systemically, I think that we can always do better and will theoretically um, continue to do better as long as people keep fighting for it, which they will. Maybe that's a little too optimistic. I don't know. <laughs> no, I agree with you. Um, I would say, yeah, I'm maybe a bit more cynical, I guess, in the fact that as long as it's just humans, like we don't have any aid from artificial intelligence um, kind of run, helping run things, because I think at a certain point we might have to make that decision as a species. Like, do we want to just let let AI kind of <laughs> handle certain things because we can't do it ourselves? Um, but if, until that point, I do think there will always be, you know, it's our tribal instincts for the first 200,000 years of um, even longer than that. Uh, arguably of our existence as a species, we've been in, in small tribes and it like, it's even, you know, the whole Dunbar's number thing. We, we can only handle so many friends, so many people in our circle. And then like, if it's larger, like who, who's that? Who is, I don't know if I like that person. Like, <laughs> uh, and yeah, so there will find differences, whether like, it doesn't matter how superficial it is. I mean, today, uh, last 500 years, it's been skin color a lot or religion. Um, and who knows what else that there could be <laughs> that we could like, oh, I'm going to discriminate this group based on this superficial characteristic. Uh, I always brought this example up to my students when teaching it, like, oh, what if, um, we, and actually this was an, uh, something that, um, a, t a great teacher, I can't remember her name, but she used to do this example for many years and, uh, kind of told other teachers like, Hey, this is something I do in my classroom, but like eye color something like eye color, we never think of discrimination based on pure, just your eye color. Um, and so how ridiculous is it that we like looking at the melanin skin colors? Um, and we, so, um, but yeah, it, something else ridiculous could come up sadly. And we just like, yeah, you're op yes. more optimistic than I am. <laughs> I, I tend to be very optimistic. I, I think it's a flaw of mine. People consider no, it a flaw. I don't know that I consider it a flaw. It's wonderful. It's refreshing, especially <laughs> on YouTube. Yes. Uh, um, your turn. Oh, let's see. Um, da, 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 da. Okay. Do This one is from my husband. Um, like I mentioned <laughs> to you in our chat before, my husband was the one who actually first started watching um, Mr. Beat, and that's how I found your channel. So awesome. this one is from him. Shout out to him, Mr. B. Do you think that biopics or like dramatized history, so think something like Dunkirk or even like Hamilton, um, do you think that those are good for teaching history or bad for teaching history? 
and why? I think more good. Um, obviously, there are problems with uh, most of the time. It's just historical inaccuracies. And, you know, you have channels that fortunately on YouTube, actually, like Cynical Historian and uh, what's the other one that's really big? They, they, you know, they go through the historical inaccuracies. Um, but yeah, like, I think overall, though, like, we just want more and more people interested in history. Mm-hmm. And like Hamilton in particular, I'm not a big fan of musicals, but I truly appreciate that musical so much. I mean, it it brought so many people into history that I think otherwise would not have mm-hmm. been into it. And so it's I, like worth it for the historical inaccuracies because it gets so many people interested. Right? Exactly. I, I had so many A-Push students that told me that, hey, this is what first got me into it. Um and they memorized all the lyrics of it and everything. And yeah, and of course, war, war movies, the whole World War II, Civil War, a lot of times for young boys in particular, this is what first gets them into history. Um, Civil War for me was the thing that like, oh, I, I, I yeah, like when I was in middle school, but also for me, it was Forrest Gump. Um, it was having a good history teacher that did impersonations of um, historical figures in class and, um, so yeah, it's a combination of things, I think, but anything, just I'll take it all. I think it's a net positive. <laughs> Get nice. them interested, make it relevant. Good. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Wait, I'm going to, I might hold off on, well, I'll answer these quick. I'm sorry about these questions. Uh, Cause do I you have, mind. Uh, it's your yeah. stream. <laughs> okay. Well, do you have thoughts on the recent house speaker debacle? Do you follow this stuff at all? I follow it a little bit. It's, I don't know how you are with swearing on this. Um, if it's like not allowed, then I won't. Oh, but... I try to, I try to limit swearing. Yeah. W- weirdly. <laughs> it's the teacher in me. I... It, yeah. I will say, yeah, it sucks. It's bad. <laughs> it's a bad it's a word. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it was, I think, uh, yeah, the way that they kind of have been handling themselves, but a lot of it has been behind closed doors, fortunately. And so, but to me, I'm always like the House of Representatives has always been kind of crazy. I mean, that was where we had a guy that there was a member of the House of Representatives that beat a member of, of the Senate with his cane almost to death right there. That was my favorite thing that I learned from a push. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Charles Sumner was almost killed by a cane. And that was Preston Brooks. He was a Preston Brooks was a congressman. And there's, you know a lot of smaller districts that are not competitive, they'll get the crazy people in there. Um, like the Marjorie Taylor greens. And, uh, so we can't really, the the vast majority of people in the house, in my opinion, are actually kind of, they're boring normies that get stuff done. So I would even Republicans. I know a lot of you are biased against Republicans, but I, do you think educated Aaron again? Oh, and thank you, Joe mama. I had to say Joe mama out loud. (laughs) Do you think educators have a significant role in de-radicalizing future generations, or do you think media projects like PragerU have outpaced them? I feel like those are two separate questions, but maybe they're not. So if if it is like teachers versus PragerU, I don't know. That almost feels like it's a little too simplified because I think that PragerU tries to get teachers on their side. And I do think that there are a lot of teachers who are supportive of what PragerU does. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So like, yes, I think educators, I don't, de-radicalizing is just such an interesting word. I'm not, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, yeah, the, the thing I often try to do and still try to do with my videos, um, but also when I was in the classroom is you want to make someone less confident in what they believe, even if you agree with them. Like I had students, I agreed with them pretty much everything, but I would just always be the contrarian, play devil's advocate. And I think by doing that, you automatically de-radicalize because like you're making it less likely that they'll become uh, nationalistic or mm -hmm. idea like stuck to an ideology. Um, to me, that was one of the worst things when you had a, <laughs> a 18 year old kid that was like, like really ideological. Like, holy crap, that's not good. Um, so I think that kind of answers that first part. The second part, I mean, the thing, the problem, yeah, we always have with the PragerU is like you have a five-minute or 10-minute PragerU video, and then you have the debunking, which is like an hour and a half because it takes so long to go through all their misrepresentations and uh, inaccuracies and lies. And so you, yeah, that's exhausting. And but I think over time, people are naturally curious, especially younger people. And so, like, they're not going to be just satisfied with that 10-minute uh, PragerU video. And so that's, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm more optimistic with this one. I think also, though, one of the issues is that a lot of parents aren't necessarily aware of, like, what their kids are watching. Um, I know this was a big thing, like, several months to a year ago. Um, though it's sort of tapered off now, but the young kids, especially very young boys, like seven, eight-year-old boys who were watching Andrew Tate um, and Andrew Tate videos. And so you have these, you know, like elementary school, middle school boys who are repeating these incredibly misogynistic and just like gross, bad um, talking points. And people are just like, you know, a lot of teachers are caught off guard. Like these kids just came back from the summer and they're suddenly mm -hmm. saying all of these terrible things. Um, and so it's, it's hard, I think, to, to combat the media because it's the, you know, attention economy and everything is trying to get kids attention. Um, so it's hard for sure. I'm always still optimistic though, because a lot of those young boys outgrow that. Yeah. And especially when they realize they're not going to get any, uh, if they want to hook up with a female later in life, they're not going to, that's going to hurt their chances when they're, <laughs> um, yeah, that's so, uh, what, what is your opinion on Mormon influence in American history overall, positive or negative? Uh, I would say, I know it's a cop out, but I would say both, uh, like, uh, yeah. I have no opinion on Mormonism. I <laughs> Once you get with religion, you got to be careful with some of this stuff. Okay, um, moving on. Uh, I believe it's my turn. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, yeah, like, this is a weird, I've never done anything like this in the 10 questions, but my question is, can we, like, react to a PragerU video together in real time? I would love to. What a wonderful idea. Okay, I found, yeah, actually, that was... That was um, the video I was earlier, like I was, oh crap, then I didn't want to give it away. But it's the book, uh, yeah, let me put it on the screen. Um, 
is the should it's only five minutes long. That's why I was like, oh, this might be a good idea for that. Um, the should sexual books be allowed in schools? Yeah, I have not. I actually like I started watching it and was like, this looks too dumb. I'm not going to watch the whole thing. I'm so glad that I didn't. So you went real first time. <laughs> yes. Um, I better put my headphones on. But yeah, like so this is a video they just released and it's, you know, spicy topic. Should sexual books be allowed in schools? Um to like emotionally steal myself for this <laughs> yeah this is exciting though because like <laughs> all right well we'll just jump right in <laughs> all right what's up guys Aldo here with prager you there's been a nationwide conversation about banning books like in public him. schools so today i came to brentwood california to ask people if we should ban books in public schools i have some books here that have been banned in certain school districts around the country let's go see what people think about it well what do you think about that do you think uh books should be banned in schools like just period no oh yeah i mean i <laughs> i'm generally like against censorship as well like uh so yeah w why would you say never ban books in, in schools i think part of it is students a students don't read the books in the library that i mean they do read library books but like they're not going to read every single book in the library, especially if it's not within their reading range, like they're not mm -hmm. gonna do that. But also if you try to ban the books, if you know anything about children and how children act, the <laughs> moment you tell them they can't have something, they want it even more. more. So like, it's really backfiring here. Yep, I agree with that. All right. <laughs> Gavin Newsom actually just two weeks ago, he signed a bill into law that would prohibit schools from banning certain books, um, especially when it comes to race and LGBTQ issues, and it would fine schools if they tried to ban these books. So the question is, should we ban books in public schools? Absolutely. 100% no. No. No, I don't, I don't think anything should be banned. I'm not for book bans at all. I don't think so. No. I think they're in California, right? I believe so. Yeah, <laughs> it seems Though like they, it. they do fly their their people out to other places sometimes. But this this seems like uh, California, just given the like mountains and stuff in the background. We got all that uh, that money from all those balls they have. Yeah, <laughs> of course not. Why not? Well, it's like freedom of speech, right? Like if you that's like, I don't know, I watched Handmaid's Tale and I feel like that's how that starts. Why not? Because we have to educate them on the on everything. I think it should be up to the parent to choose what they would like to have their families read. And I don't think everyone should be making universal decisions for every parent out there. So I have some of the banned books here. I was wondering if you could read some of them for me. This is Jen that's an interesting angle. The the, the, the parents' rights angle actually. That's <laughs> like I probably piqued your attention. Now. I just I think that all of those people's answers were not great. Like they're fine. Uh, uh, my thing, my opinion is for why books should not be banned. Um, I mean, as the reasons I said before, but also because like the thing about public schools and public school libraries is that they should have a variety of content for children to choose from and content that is good for kids. And some of the things that are good for kids is learning about who they are and their ancestors and their cultures and some feelings that they may not have had words for that now they will be given the vocabulary uh, to describe. I had a very sheltered <laughs> upbringing. Uh, I've, I've mentioned this many times and 
you know, I, it was really shocking when I finally came across certain things, like as a young adult, I'm raising my daughters now, like I have a 12 year old and a nine year old, my wife and I, we raised them in a way where like, you know, if they, we are not going to like, if they have questions, we try to answer them as best we can. And we're not going to, the only time that we like, don't have them look at something is if we think it's going to traumatize them. Like if it's going to give them nightmares. Yeah. Nightmares. Uh, in fact, I was even like, my nine-year-old is really into stranger things right now. And that that's to me, if I was a nine-year-old, I would be having nightmares, but she's totally cool. Not one nightmare. And that's the thing. It's like, your child it, is braver than me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is pretty scary. Um, but the thing is like, if you make it taboo, it's almost like, like you were saying, it's like, they're going to just want to find out about yes. it even more. So, okay. Back to this. Ender Queer by Maya Kobabe. Could you read this bottom part here for me? Oh, here's the gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. This is like a literal sex scene. Like this is actual like booty sex. Here's one of the books. It's called Let's Talk About It. Uh, the Teen's Guide to Sex, Relationship, and Being a Human. Trail your fingers around and over your vulva. Flutter your fingers lightly from place to place. Tug, pull, and rub your labia. Circle your... It's about masturbation. This is from a book called This Book is Gay by Judah Dawson. I love it's that really that guy was not phased at all and they just like cut from it. Like. I can't believe yeah, they left okay. it in there. It's a normal like. So Yeah, that's the thing. Like, okay. I think what it is, is that was pretty revealing, wasn't it? Because it's if to that guy, it was not taboo. It's like, uh -huh. whatever. Like. <laughs> Yeah, like it, they're they're using correct like clinical language for things like. And this is something that like ninety nine percent of humans um, probably are going to like want to know at some point because you know you do have the one percent that asexual that probably or whatever the number is. But yeah, generally this is something that's main. It's a mainstream thing, like it. But because of the, uh, you know, this goes back to I think. The cultural, the culture of the United States, with yes. the pure, going back to the Puritans. <laughs> um, all right. Offered in uh, a Wisconsin school district, and I was wondering if you could read this for me. <laughs> Handies. Perhaps the most important skill you will, you will master as a gay or bi man is the timeless classic, The Handjob. This is called Let's Talk About It, The Teen's Guide to Sex. Maybe if you want to read this section here. When you're ready to play with your body, there are a few things to try. But the first thing to learn is that a happy vulva or penis is a wet vulva or penis. If you have a foreskin, play with it. Slip a finger between it and <laughs> Maybe not <laughs> Apply broad pressure to the outside of the entrance. Circle your bottle. Okay, no, kids maybe should not be reading that. All right, so here's one book called Fun Home by Allison Beshadel. What the f***? Yeah. Okay. Um, another passage. Do you want to read that for us? We're each busting a load into this bottle. If you don't come, you have to drink it. Gavin Newsom wants these books in schools. Okay. Okay. Could you read? Oh yeah, yeah. That's there we go. So now they're attacking a straw man. The thing is, <laughs> one of the most important. What's the word I want to use here? 
one of the most important things, um, let me be very specific, one of the most important things about sex ed, and that includes things like literature, one of the most important things about sex ed is that it teaches students consent, it teaches students what is sexual and what is not, it teaches them like what is normal and what is not for figuring out what is going on with their bodies. It also teaches consent and when you are being asked to do something that is not good. And so it like gives students the vocabulary to understand what is happening. And there are some of these books that students have used as, what's the word I'm looking for? That, that students have said like, I would not have known that I was abused if I had not read this book and learned about this. And that's like, especially that last one where I assume I have not read that particular book. Um, this is all out of context. So we're yeah, that I assume that that part is showing like, this is a bad thing. These students were like pressuring or the, the other children were pressuring this kid into doing this. And he learned that that was bad. That's good for, for kids to know. Mm. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, I, I'm that I'm like angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the the fact that these could be seen as tools to fight against um, pedophiles, mm -hmm. like to prevent grooming from happening. So yeah. I thought I thought we as parents don't want that to happen. So if the the kids need to know to watch out for this stuff, and the, the other thing that I'm always kind of puzzled by is that if a kid sees all this stuff are they more likely to do it? And I think the answer is no. I think they're the same. Mm -hmm. I think they're the same. And I say that because I base, I, I personally, like I, I grew up in a household that was like, they did not tell me anything. I didn't know about anything. I had to discover it on my own. And boy, was that interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what is, what is the alternative that they learn it from porn? Because that's, not or good like it's other 13 like, year old boys <laughs> like i i just don't understand i don't understand i'm frustrated <laughs> it's back to what you said in your last video though it's about control we they want to be the ones mm -hmm. and i think also like if don't if you want to prevent the negative things that we associate with, like with sex which is um you know like unplanned pregnancies stds those are the two big ones Shouldn't we like tell them all about it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, historically, like statistically, teaching uh, abstinence only sex ed leads to more teenage pregnancies. Yeah. So, well, all right, we'll, we'll keep going here. I know you're angry, but <laughs> read a passage for me. I'm not going to read this, but like, again, I'm not going to prohibit someone from choosing if this is something that they would want their child to be exposed to. If an adult feels uncomfortable reading this out loud, why do they think it's appropriate to show to kids <laughs> in elementary and middle schools? Well, because they it, yeah, they would be uncomfortable because they're on camera out in public saying this stuff. This is a private thing usually, right? Also, <laughs> I'm so angry. The, th <laughs> the thing about literature is like sometimes it's good to be made uncomfortable. Sometimes mm. it's good to have to sit with things that you're not sure about how you feel about them because that is how you grow and learn new things is by being uncomfortable first. Is like, hmm, I wonder why it is uncomfortable for me to see these 
like drawings of like female genitalia. Like, I wonder why. And so then again, I mean, like I talked about before, my whole thing is like getting people to inquire about themselves and ask questions. Like, I wonder why that makes me uncomfortable, not just, ew, it's gross. I don't want to see it. Right. <sighs> Maybe I shouldn't have done this. I'm like cussing you out. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. It's good. <laughs> All right. Just a little bit more. Beats me. After reading these, what do you think about these books? I think it depends where, like definitely not for an elementary school or a middle school, but like high schoolers have sex. And it's that's a, actually what uh, she seems pretty reasonable to me. I mean, and, and our elementary school kids, I don't think they're saying this that. Right. I, I don't know. Why would I, you? Yeah, I'm. I don't have enough it, information they, to make they conven- a judgment. Yeah, they conveniently leave that information out because it doesn't fit their narrative. It's important to know about sex, whether gay or straight. These books. Kids should be reading those books. That's something the parents need to like, kind of talk to them. You know? I, mean, I don't got no kids. They can't just be a stranger teaching your kid what to do and what not to do. You know, that's their, that's, Those are sacred parts of your body. It is 100% not appropriate for elementary school, but it is 1,000% appropriate for high school. No. <laughs> what did you say? No. They should ban these, you're saying. No, I don't think we should ban books on sex education or... I don't think they need to have these in like an elementary school. Exactly. I don't want my kids seeing that. Do you have any kids? I do, I have two. Well, how would you feel if you knew that your kid's library had these books available? I don't think I'd be happy about it because I would rather speak to my children about them. You know what my kids would do if they came across these books? Hmm. They would be grossed out. Because, I mean, especially my nine-year-old, like if it's if it's uh, before puberty, they don't even. This is like, this stuff is gross to yeah. them, so they don't even like. They can't even wrap their head around it. Um, so I don't know. They're. It's they, interesting to me the parts that they choose to leave, in like that they left. I guess it's their way of you know making it seem more moderate than it is is like oh what well, we're showing the other side we're showing the woman who says that it's fine to have those books yeah they're trying to simplify it and obviously like attack a straw man cherry pick the most extreme examples they yeah. can find um those things and not that they shouldn't learn those things at school but maybe not in this way. I'm really against um, any books that have any type of an agenda um, to, you know, educate children about issues that they shouldn't even be thinking about or talking about. The question is, should parents have a right to dictate what material their children consume in public schools? Yes. Yeah. Why? Because that's your child. I think the problem comes, you know, when you hear the word book ban, right? You think of people tossing books into a fire. And when you see these books that they've banned in certain school districts, do you understand why parents might not want these in their their kids' schools? Totally. Yeah. Well, you guys, that's it for this episode. School districts, do you understand? All right. So, yeah, that's... uh... Sorry to get y'all riled up there. Oh, no, it's fine. I feel like this is this is the content people want. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to be this angry in like videos. So this is the this is the real As I say, you don't seem like the angry type. <laughs> <laughs> what a wild ride. Yeah, I just uh, 
I guess they they're trying to. This is something that they're trying to make a big issue, and um, I just they to make something a big issue, you got to find you got to somehow get people outraged, and you got to find an extreme. Often you got to find an extreme example. Yes, you know. So let's find the most extreme books we can and stream. Like I think the the law actually they're referring to was not even. Uh, it was pretty vague. It wasn't like saying specific books to you can never ban these specific books. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, so I do, I have a question that can sort of somewhat segue <laughs> into this. Okay, um, good. So I know that you, or you said that you left teaching a couple of years ago, but during these times that we are in, um, what is some advice that you have for people? Like what can people do to better support public educators during this time when people like Prager, you are saying, do not trust teachers, do not trust public schools. What can people better do for public educators? Hasley here actually had a related question. So this Ooh. might, yeah, I'll Perfect. pull that up. Great minds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great minds think alike. Um, but yeah, so their question was, you know, why is it even worth it to be a teacher these days um, with all dealing with parent? I've got this question before in other episodes, but I'm always happy to answer. Um, I think it is. I think it's one of the most noble professions in existence. Um, you feel good about yourself when you go into this profession. You, you really are having a big impact in a positive way. Um, I think the gun violence, like, um, maybe that's a little bit overplayed in schools. I, I don't think you should feel in danger. I mean, yeah, there's, there's these shooter drills that are pretty, uh, anxiety inducing, but, um, and yeah, there are parents that show up at school board meetings. Like they, they never used to do that when I started out teaching, they really picked up during the pandemic. Um, but I think, oh, and low pay, they mentioned low pay. I mean, yeah, the thing is like, uh, I think inevitably the pay is going to go back up. Um, it kind of, the pendulum goes back and forth. And I think we've had a rough patch re in recent years. Um, so I, yeah, it's, please be a teacher. Um, I, I think uh, it's something that's still worth doing because it's about um, that connection with I mean, no, I mean, it goes well beyond the um, academic side of things. It's always about, to, or at least for me, it was about the, I want this person to be a good, hu an, good human. And, but also mostly just, I want them to be happy. <laughs> and um, you do, you know, you care about your students, just like you care about your own children. And, um, and so that's really, that's what gives you the warm, fuzzy feelings. You know, that's why you're. I mean, sure, I, I first got into like, I was like, oh, I want to be a social studies teacher because I just really love history and geography. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of got over that once I started student teaching. I was like, oh, it, I guess it's not really about that because like half the time they're not even really <laughs> getting what you're trying to teach. So you have to just what what remains is, yeah, th those connections. Did that, did that answer your question, though? I feel like I got a little bit sidetracked. Well, I guess it was like, what can people who are not in the education system do to support teachers? Oh, I'm sorry. I, yeah. No, it's yeah. fine. They're, they're related questions. Okay, yeah. So as far as those who are not in the... I mean, 
I encourage everyone to volunteer at a school at least once in your life um, to not go to school board meetings necessarily. Get in the schools. Um, Mrs. Beat and I have volunteered at um, our daughter's schools, um, and we've been fortunate to do that. But you also see things that you would never see otherwise, because a lot of times your students aren't going to tell you if you have this or even if you don't have students there, they're, they're always looking for volunteers. They're always looking for help. And you'll see how it really is. And then that will force you to like understand what teachers are going through. <laughs> yeah. Um. Good. Thank you. That is, I sometimes forget because I wasn't in like the public school system um, outside of student teaching because all of the like official teaching I did was at the college level. But mm -hmm. um, I sometimes forget that there are like you can do volunteer things and like the, the public can <laughs> actually like get involved in school stuff. Um, I sometimes forget that that's even like a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like with, um, sporting events, extracurricular mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, we're getting to the, oh yeah, we're under two hours making pretty good time. So, um, very efficient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> wait, was that, have I asked you eight or nine? I think oh, no, that I... was eight. This okay. is, this will be nine. Oh, so this is a more lighthearted question. Um, I always enjoy your cats and your videos. Um, this like, <laughs> I just love cats overall, and I know that you do as well. Um, <laughs> what are common misunderstandings about cats? <laughs> in your <sighs> so many people think <laughs> that cats are these like grumpy, aloof, like. You know, I mean, when you think like cartoon cats, they're always very like sassy and like, I don't care about anything. But cats are genuinely incredibly loving. They have huge personalities and they're just goofy. Like they love to play. They love to like be around people, at least most cats. Um, and they, something that I learned recently that I've been attempting to do with my, my boys is, uh, Apparently, cats like it when you, they like getting involved in what you do. That's why cats often like sit on your lap when you're working or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they appreciate it when you try to get involved in what they do. So I've been trying, <laughs> this feels so silly. Um, but so anytime I see my cat scratching on one of his cat trees, I'll go up and I'll like scratch on it too. <laughs> so far, he, I think it's just freaked him out. I don't think that he's... <laughs> sure what I'm doing because he'll just stop and be like <laughs> but um, I am making an effort so hopefully he appreciates that um, but yeah but I also have orange tabbies like both of my my boys are orange tabbies and orange cats are known for their huge personalities uh, there is the joke that every orange cat in the world shares a single brain cell that they just give to each other on various days uh which is very true my cats are both uh, they have big personalities that's all i'll say <laughs> yeah it's a got my orange cat here garfield oh yeah grew up a big fan of the comic strip yeah the that a lot of uh jim davis i read an interview with him one time he's like yeah like Sometimes I just stare at my cat and be inspired. A lot of this stuff, like I'm just thinking like, what's going on in his mind really? Just stare at, 
And that's how he was inspired. Like, you know, just hanging out with his cat. Legit came up with ideas yeah. for Garfield. Um, Beautiful. We have a, a well, our, I, I live uh, kind of, you know, with my in-laws. Uh, they have a, their own cat that's grumpy, old. And so I keep my distance. But, you know, we respect each other. But then we have our cat, which is, a, I think, part Maine Coon. Um, mm. And he acts like a dog. So he will just, when you come in the door, he runs up to you and greets you just like a dog does. And so I think that that's like kind of a, he's a gateway cat because mm-hmm. a lot of dog people, they just don't understand. Yeah. We're, we're both dog and cat people, but I think the thing, yeah, they're more subtle. They're more also like kind of, you know, you need to earn it. Type yeah. Of deal. yeah. Yes. So I, I just think cats get a bad rap and I think, um, you know, they're also yep. easy <laughs> to take care of. Oh, for sure. Way, uh, yeah. We have one of each. Our the big, <laughs> the big boy, Desmond. Um, he's the one that that people always comment on. Like that is a big cat. Um, <laughs> which he is, but he's he's just like large boned. We are working on getting <laughs> his weight down, but he is just like structurally a big cat. Um, <laughs> he's one you have to earn it. Um, he's a little bit more timid. He's more of the like traditional cat, but Charlie who is the smaller one, uh, he'll do the same thing where he'll like run up to you when you come home and like mm. reach his little paws up, like pick me up, pick me up. And it's the sweetest. Oh yeah. That's cool. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know that about orange cats. Cause I never really, I don't think I've had an orange cat. Like at least not since I, you know, was a teenager. Um, I, where I grew up, we had like a bunch of cats that just kind of hung out. Like mm. and they had different litters and yeah. far, farm cats basically. <laughs> Uh, all right, cool. Yeah, so it's more lighthearted now. See, yes. Yeah, um, stress levels went down. Blood okay. pressure went down. <laughs> okay, what is your guilty pleasure, or the term I like to use is junk food content that you like to watch? What is the like hmm. mindless YouTube that you enjoy? Uh, you know, sometimes I watch the polit. I hate to say this, but a lot of the pol- <laughs> political punditry. That really is junk food because, like, a lot of times they're just like, uh, you know, it's not really that educational. <laughs> and um, you know, I feel the older I get, the the I, I really love football, and I understand the brain damage side of it and how. So I do feel more guilty the older I get. Watch, like, I'm a huge Chiefs fan and all this. I uh, there's a channel called um, Neurotransmissions. It's really good. I recommend it's a psychology channel but they did a video that kind of like changed my mind a bit um about like man because that's the name of the video is why i stopped watching football and it got me to question i mean you know why do i watch the, like I, they're all going to get brain damage all not all of them but a lot of them and sure they know what they're getting themselves into but it does feel i feel a little guilty watching it even though i love it what about you what's your i really like watching i have two that i watch there's a person who plays mario games uh specifically the mario maker games uh and he's very good and i really like his stuff his name is ryukar but my like personal like that's something that my husband will do my husband and i sometimes um will watch that when we just want to like chill um but my favorite is a YouTuber who builds in The Sims 4. Her name is Lil Simsy, and she's 
like incredibly sweet, incredibly wholesome, just a ray of sunshine. And I'm not just saying that because she's famously from Florida, uh, but she's very cool, really like her. Um, and she's very talented at, at building fake houses. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to give, I'm going to pull it up so people can see. Yeah, oh. I found it. Uh, subscribe, everyone. You really dig it. Um, the, yeah, she's the sweetest, just really awesome, um, very wholesome. But it doesn't seem like you should be guilty of watching that stuff. Oh, like, yeah, that's why I like yeah. to call it junk food because it's like, you know, it, it doesn't really do any like mental stimulation. Like it doesn't have any vitamins in it, but oh. it's it's a good sometimes, you know, like it's a yeah. nice when I'm stressed out. I put on a little Simsy video, watch her build beautiful things and talk in her nice voice and it's 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 chill it's good okay well in that case then i gotta give another i've given a shout out to him before but new england wildlife and more have you heard of him i have not but i'm always into wildlife um well most of it's not wildlife anymore he mainly just opens up old food and eats it sometimes Oh. He's also has another channel called Post Ten, where he he's the guy who just unplugged drains, and a lot of a lot of his videos end up on TikTok. But he, uh, very nice. He's hey everyone. He's amazing. In today's video, we, my wife and I, this is what we watch on Saturday night. He releases on Saturday, <laughs> and yeah, sometimes it literally is junk food. <laughs> what we, we also one of the other like relaxing things is. What is it called? Hand Tool Rescue, I think, who does like restorations of old tools and will like remake some old like patents that he finds. Um, also, just like a very pleasing voice. He has like really nice listen to, uh, really nice voice to listen to. And mm. also, it's it's almost like an ASMR sort of thing to like watch uh, some of the things come yeah. together. Um, but yeah, super great. <laughs> Do you ever have people say that about your videos, like the, the ASMR quality? Yeah, I, well, people say that they like to put my videos on to like fall asleep to, and I'm never sure how to feel about that because I'm, <laughs> I was never one of, because like I grew up in an area with like very bad internet. So like I didn't even really watch YouTube until I was already like in college. Uh, so I don't have a lot of the like cultural YouTube stuff that, uh, a lot of other people have so that's like an alien concept to me is like falling asleep to youtube oh yeah well no i think it's a compliment um <laughs> somebody shouted out meat canyon i don't know hopefully this isn't appropriate okay i'll check it out there's so I many think i've seen much out there. at least one of those it looks familiar oh, the like art man. style you gotta just appreciate the animate animation channels are just all the just the effort alone they put into their mm -hmm. videos yes um okay uh i get i think we're to the last yes. question nice i always try to end it with like a, a at least somewhat deeper question so that oh no so my, i didn't save a good one for oh, all that's, that's okay <laughs> Well, well, maybe we should. You should ask yours first, then. Maybe well, we'll, I mean, yeah. like, it's a it's a fine question. It's more. It's I'm leaning into the like, I don't know, more like selfish kind of questions. So, if you had no constraints, no monetary constraints, no worries about the algorithm or even like what your audience wants, if you could make a video 
just for you with no strings attached, what would you make? Oh, well, I, I mean, let me pull up my, I have a spreadsheet. <laughs> I, um, I have ideas. I have too many ideas, but like, um, I have this whole column, like I have a spread, an Excel, it's not Excel, but whatever. Oh, Google Sheets is what you call mm -hmm. it. Of like video ideas. And I have a whole column. I'm not going to put this on the screen because like, uh, but uh, I have a whole column of like series slash channel ideas. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I have an idea that I wrote recently, uh, turning C-SPAN into Seinfeld episodes, like you know, with the music, darn, 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 like, and then making it like, and adding laugh tracks. To <laughs> that song. is genuinely a really good idea. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Related to that, like, I mean, this is essentially like time, if time was a resource that was infinite, I would do all this stuff. Um, C-SPAN for the rest of us, like everything that's on C-SPAN, I would, just find a way to make it relatable to people because oftentimes mm. it is boring. Um, I always wanted to do a, a show. Like if I ever got like, if Netflix approached me, I, I, I like, what, what, what series do you want to do? I like, okay. It's called what's in a name. And I just go around standing by street signs or go to weirdly named places. And then I explain the history of why that place is named what it is. Like, cause I'm always fascinated. Like, when you're there's certain street names you're like why is this street name that like who is this person who is bob billings i drive on the street every day and i don't know who bob billings is um these so, are million dollar ideas these are genuinely really good ideas all of them <laughs> oh thank you yeah i know um i have other ideas i mean some of these i'm actually going to do so i probably won't bring them up but uh oh native american tribes i would just like to do a like a history and like a feature of every single native American tribe out there. Um, look at all the nations and like go visit the, um, the territories and reservations and interview people and, you know, just bring their story to life. Cause I feel like a lot of these places are forgotten. These people are not given uh, proper attention, you know? Um, yeah. So that's, those are a few. <laughs> what about you? Oh gosh. Um, I, I don't know. I actually haven't thought about that before. What would I do if I didn't have anything to worry about? Um, well, think about what you're, I mean, most passionate about. Yeah, I think that I would, <laughs> if money were not an option, I think that I would not do YouTube and I would write full time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think yeah. that's the like boring answer is like, that's, that's the ideal is to like, be a, a novelist in some like cabin somewhere is the the <laughs> ultimate goal <laughs> so you'd write novels so, yes um because you you mainly just write poetry now is that yeah i have there are some writing projects that i'm working on in the background but they're uh you know the like youtube grind just takes so much um, and I spend a lot of time on research and writing for videos because I write like I script the whole thing. Um, Me too, yeah. And so it's it takes a long time. And um, and so there's very little time left over for the like other writing things that I want to do. And that's not like I love doing YouTube. I love this job. It's really great. But um, 
you know, I think there is some, and I don't know if you feel this way, but there is some like <sighs> worry about having your whole livelihood tied to such a volatile platform of like, what if it just like, what if for some reason Google tanked and suddenly YouTube didn't exist anymore? Um, what would I do? And, you know, I'm not going to go back to teaching because like the teaching that I'm qualified to do does not pay really much of anything. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, I, I think I like to keep my options open and I think writing is a, is a good alternate path for things. Um, the, well, writing also doesn't pay, so. <laughs> it can. It can, but I, the, the things that I would write, I don't know are like, you know, the like flashy, you know, books that make people millions of dollars <laughs> <laughs> well you just never know sometimes i always like that's related to my last question but before i ask that i you know i think about my other creative um ambitions too like because before i made videos i i made songs and mm. you know my band electric needle room i still occasionally record and i do miss it and i have ideas for songs and i want to make this big ambitious um uh, uh, album about where I, I write a song about every single state based mm -hmm. on everything I've learned about the states researching for videos. Um, but the thing is like, I think as long as you're able to, um, scratch that itch that the creative itch. So as long as you're creating something, I always say, yeah. I, that's why I feel like I haven't like missed it too much. Cause I'm still at least being able to, and same thing when you're a teacher, you're, it's a very creative profession. Mm -hmm. So as long as you're able to like find that creative outlet, I think, but yeah, it's good to have backup plans. Cause you're right. YouTube could be gone. I, I think about that all the time. I, that's why yeah, I even like went ahead and started, put, I started putting my stuff up on rumble. I was like, you just never know. Um, I've written a couple books myself. A lot, a lot of those, uh, the like uh when i my first book i should say actually a lot of that was from my scripts for my videos mm. i just like oh nice altered it to make it in book format um so people were like oh this is just, just watch your videos well i mean but some people just want to sit down and read a book you know so yeah. um but yeah it's that's another good backup plan too because like if you i encourage you to like pursue a novel because like you could also you know promote it on your YouTube channel. And then when one day YouTube does tank, you ask your backup, like yep. <laughs> carry that forward. Um, all right. Well, yeah. So my, my question uh, is actually, do you think there is currently a creativity crisis? Oh, what a question. Um, creativity <laughs> crisis. Hmm. Well, what does that mean? Do I have to define that myself? Because I will if I have to. <laughs> I, I kind of rather you define it yourself. Okay. I, can, I, I can tell you my perspective. After, That's a very, I, very teacher move from you there. Um, it's, I understand it's also a somewhat loaded question because. Oh, like, for sure. You know, I, yeah. But I, I do you think there's a creativity crisis right now? I think. So I think that human beings are naturally creative and will always continue to make wild stuff. Um, like there was a, 
I'm not on TikTok, but I read a couple of articles because I'm old now. So I read a couple of articles about this TikTok trend that was happening, I think maybe like last year, where people were, it was this like doubloons thing. I don't know if that means anything to you. So people would like, it's this like fictional currency that is like, it's like sort of like a long form role playing game across like all of TikTok. And so you have like these doubloons and some people's videos can like give you doubloons and other people's videos can be like, I'll trade you 10 doubloons for this thing. And of course it's all fake. Like it's all made up and just in people's heads. Um, yeah. But it's like, that's a really interesting way to use the platform to like play pretend essentially. Um, and no it's just a really, this. yeah, I don't remember. I, is that how it's, it, I don't know if that's how it's spelled, but I might be, I don't remember the like exact, <laughs> any details about it. Cause it was like a year or so ago, but um, is it doubloons with a U? No, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know anything about this other than it, it was interesting. <sighs> so that being said, I do think that TikTok is very bad uh, for, and most social media, I will say, is very bad for most other forms of creativity. Like it does allow for new outlets for creativity, um, like video essays and short films and things that are on YouTube that were not really possible um, in the same way beforehand. But I think that the attention economy has been really detrimental. I think there's a lot of like cultural like shifts that have been made um, that are detrimental to media. Like, for instance, uh, I don't know if you're into like superheroes, but name me an Avengers movie that has any amount of like sexual tension in it. I'm not really into superhero movies. <laughs> the The answer is there's none. Oh, okay. Um, movies are very, things are a lot more like sanitized now. And I think part of that is because oh. of the like globalization of media where like they want every single person, like they want to make things as widely appealing as possible. It was common denominator yes. stuff. Yes. Yeah. And so that's, I, and I think that you're, we're seeing that with all sorts of media. Um, yes. Like one of the things that I used to want to make a video about, but now I think it's too outdated um, to be worth talking about. But the Instagram poetry stuff where like poetry on Instagram is really garbage. Um, <laughs> that's my Grammarly, by the way. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Reference um, to, <laughs> to your video. Yeah. <laughs> so like a lot of poetry being released now is at least that's like popular on social media it just sucks there's no like meat to it like it's it's all very like i was sad because you left and then you came back and i'm happy like literally that level of poetry and like it says nothing it's uh. bad i don't like it um 
so all of that, I guess, is a long-winded way to say, yes, I think there is a creativity crisis. I think there are some gains that we're making in creativity with the new outlets that we have, but I think net, it's a negative. I think stuff is bad. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I, I agree that we're in a creativity crisis and how I would define it is I feel it, it's harder for people to be creative these days and due to a number number of reasons, some which you mentioned. Um, but like one that you didn't mention is that we are constantly consuming information that that I believe is hindering our ability to be mm. creative. We're always scrolling on our phone. We're always oh. like if we're even when we're watching a movie, we're scrolling on our phone. Mm -hmm. um, even when we're brushing our teeth, like we have a podcast going on in the background or we just don't have a lot of time um, where like, that's why, why I value just going on a walk without headphones. Like I don't have to have my ear pods in or I can just vacuum and I don't have to be listening to anything because it forces me to reflect and I, it forces my brain to wander. And there's even a whole subreddit on Reddit. I, it's called shower thoughts and mm. where people share creative thoughts that they have that they thought of in the shower. Cause it's like the only place where they're not consuming information. Yeah. And that's pretty sad. Yeah. Like it's actually good for our brains to be bored. Sometimes we Absolutely. need to have like quiet time. We need to just be alone with ourselves. And I'm like, that's something that I value a lot as well. Like I like it just being by myself and having things be quiet for a little bit because I, I don't know. I like to think a lot. Um, and like I said before, like, I don't like to fall asleep with YouTube videos on. Like I, so yeah, I agree that there's just a lot of like noise, like social and, and artistic noise. Um, that's one of the good things about reading a book is yeah. I know this makes me sound like pretentious, <laughs> but like, because your brain will often wander while you're reading and yeah, that's great. Cause like you're truly processing it in a, in a a way you you can't replicate that with watching TV or um, yes listening to a podcast. Yeah, it's. Well, the other thing you said though, I'll, I mean, okay, there's another issue that we. Sh I, I think I totally agree that the whole you mentioned globalization, mm. but I think a lot of it's led by American media yeah. and conglomeration. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's only a handful of media companies that own all the media, <laughs> all of it, yes. and uh, you know it's back to. You mentioned capitalism earlier, but I think uh, I'm actually a fan of capitalism overall. I just think that it what we see is like a horrible version of capitalism. And I think mm -hmm. it, it you need you need regulations and rules in place. And we haven't seen that very often or we've seen we've seen deregulation our whole lives. Like millennials have grown up with de in the deregulation neoliberal era. Yes. And so we don't even know like. In the 90s, especially, um, the Democrat Bill Clinton signed all this legislation that deregulated media. And what you saw was all these radio stations, media companies, all conglomerate, like these corporations formed mega corporations. And so they um, they were less willing to take a chance on like really, truly revolutionary, groundbreaking art. Mm -hmm. And it's not just one media. It's not just music. It's not just film. It's not just uh, poetry because what's getting published, you know, like any art form. And that, to me, it's only gotten worse. And that's what like if you listen to a song, I always bring up music because that's my biggest passion. 
Mm -hmm. listen to a song from 2013, 10 years ago. It sounds like it came out in 2023. Yeah. And if you look, if you watch a, a movie, like most of the big blockbuster movies, uh, you mentioned the superhero movies, they're all like franchises or remakes yeah. or sequels because Hollywood doesn't want to take a chance. They don't mm -hmm. want to invest in like stuff that's different um, because it's too risky. They're playing it safe. And you have people that are in charge of these companies. I'm really ranting right now. So. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's good. <laughs> but you have people in charge of these companies that um, that don't have many shower thoughts they're not the, the creative i mean they can be creative if they really wanted to be but they're the type of people who they haven't explored their own creativity much and so they're just yeah. like okay we need shortcuts to make as much money for the shareholders as possible they're yeah and it it like <laughs> is a compounding issue because not only are the movies not very good in many cases but like the people who are working on them are also treated like garbage i mean there's the, mm. there was the whole thing with like the animators um on like uh, Disney and Marvel, but I guess Marvel is Disney, so it's all the same. Um, but the animators for a lot of those superhero movies were like, yeah, of course the graphics suck because we were paid like garbage and crunched to hell. Like we, it, and so it's, it's bad for everybody except the people who are making all of the money at the end of the day. Um, and that's, you know, it is what it is. There are exceptions. Wes Anderson, shout out to Wes Anderson films. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, no, I, and it is subjective. Art is subjective. I get it. But like, I think we can measure this because we can compare yeah. it to other eras. Like, oh, I always compare it to my childhood, like growing up in the 90s. And there were some weird bands that used to be played in mainstream radio that never would have been considered. And there is there there's lots of creativity still out there. The problem is it's hard to find. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, you know, like there's great local bands I know about that, wow, you'd be I mean, but they're just they not they're not lowest common denominator stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so we made it. Mm -hmm. Uh I I do have some more super chats here, but I, how long has it been? Oh, we're not to three hours. Okay, good. Can you stick around for a little bit longer? Oh, yeah, I'm good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh well, thank you for the kind words, Indu. Uh, good to see you. Uh, oh, thanks for getting both my books. And, and the, yeah, that's that means a lot. Sorry, I just now saw your message. Thanks for your membership as well. Um, if either of you were appointed as secretary of education, what major or minor things would you implement or change and why? Also, what countries do you think we could borrow education ideas from? I think that this is, I think probably one of the ways that you and I differ is a lot of my issues with education are very like system-based and that I think a lot of things should be very different from the ground up. Um, so I'll leave that open-ended because <laughs> I don't know what the solution is. I think it's overhauling a lot of stuff. But as far as countries that we should learn from, Poland has a lot of great education um, theorists. They're doing a lot of really cool stuff in schools in Poland. That is where you should look. Um, mm. One of my favorite theorists right now is Gert Bista, um, who is from Poland. Super awesome. Love his stuff. It is really influential. Um, 
I mentioned him, I think, in my efficiency video. I don't remember which video it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's super cool. Is it uh, that dude? Uh, yes. Person? Um, okay. Yeah, it looks like it should be pronounced Biesta, but it is Bista. Oh, is he at Edinburgh University? I, I think now he is, yes. Oh. I, I didn't expect you to say Poland. <laughs> Uh, that that was I, I thought usually the go to is uh, Finland. Yeah, they yeah. yeah. Uh, that's Finland. that's I'm it, it I'm a, a hipster. That's Finland <laughs> is very old news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Poland the, is the new new cool thing. Poland is the new Finland. Yes. Yeah. The uh, it's weird that because I think the the main thing that's brought up in about Finland two things is that they pay their teachers really well. And they give the students a lot of freedom in terms of what to explore. Like they just, it's very discovery based. And I, I do find that appealing. I'm a big project based person. Like that's how I did um, design my classroom is like, I tried to have them work on projects where they can focus more on stuff they're more passionate about, but it was more skills based as they did that, you know, trying to teach them to uh, research as if they're historians. Um, and then you would appreciate that a lot of that meant that they had to, I mean, that overlapped with good writing as well um, with when they had good, like, good research skills. Um, also, I'm sorry, Groot Bista is not Polish. He's Dutch. That's my mistake. Oh. <laughs> Poland does have good schools, though. I'm just conflating two things in my brain. I okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good. Making corrections to my mistakes. That's a good question. Um I think France also, like I remember watching a Michael Moore documentary and he, the thing that stood out to me in that documentary, I don't remember which one it was. I mean, he has, I know he's a controversial figure, but he, he just spent some time in France looking at the school system and they divide up their money more equally. Like in the United States, you know how there's like really wealthy suburban schools and then really poor inner city schools, despite all the federal assistance that's, they don't have that problem in France, apparently. Uh, just bringing in cahoots. Thank you. Just bringing attention to Albert Einstein's paper titled Why Socialism? Everyone should read it. Okay. Albert Einstein. I've heard of him. All right. Thank you, Pluto, a.k.a. Jesse, Jesse apparently. <laughs> oh, add Project Farm to your subs, too. Okay. Have you heard of Project Farm? I have not. Okay. Thank you for that. Oh, he, this is, I think he's talking about that show idea I had. Is that what he's, oh, nice. Yes, it's, I'm telling you, it's a genius idea. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> okay. Hey, Netflix. And speaking of Netflix, that's been one of the two, the um, bright spots, in my opinion, with media. It, like, I think a big reason why Netflix has succeeded is because they took a chance on a few, like, television has remained great. That's been a bright spot, in my opinion. <clears throat> um. You can disagree with me if you want. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, I'm I just I'm trying to remember like what is even. So I guess they did Stranger Things. They did Queen's Gambit, I believe, was an original. Yeah, I don't I don't watch a lot of I've been the past couple of years. I've been doing more and more YouTube rather than. Oh, TV or movies. So maybe that's a yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a me issue. Us actually, too. Um, it is surprising that, you know, when you sit down the TV more and more. It's just like, let's go to YouTube first. It's yeah. Weird. Um, thank you. Not trying equals success. 
for your generosity. Is there any period in history you think is not taught properly in schools, either given not enough attention or based on flawed scholarship? Um, I can, I mean, I don't know if you have a, an opinion on this, but I, I would say um, economic history is not taught enough. Um, I think uh, we don't look, especially at the causes of economic, like recessions enough. And honestly, a lot of historians don't understand economics that well. And I, they just think everything is political when they study history. And it's not. I, I think economics is the... I, I tweeted this once and it was so controversial. So many history tubers got mad at me. And I'll say it again because I stand by it, is that the quickest way to learn anything is history. But the quickest way to learn history is economics um, because it's always about scarcity when, at the heart of a lot of times when you look at any significant uh, event at the heart of it is scarcity. Um, anyway, what do, what do you think? <laughs> it's a big question. I about this question? I don't know. I'm trying to think back because I'm not trained in history. So I'm, I'm going back to my my A push days. Um, I don't know. But you took A push. I did. I that's, did take A push. I, I didn't even have it at my school. So no. that's cool that you, you had that opportunity. And we I don't know if this is normally how it's done. But our school, my high school, it was split up because there's so much American history is huge. Yeah. Um, for being such a young country, um, <laughs> relatively. And so it was like, you did half of it, your sophomore year and half of it, your junior year. Um, which was a great way to do it because it meant that we got to like actually hit a lot of the big things. Um, yeah. I feel like there's, I'm, I'm trying to remember, I know there's stuff that people are like, we never learned about this in history class. And I had a pretty good history teacher. She was phenomenal. Um, and so there, there are some things where I'm like, no, I did. I did learn about those things uh, that I guess are not very common. To, but I am blanking on any of those things. But uh, but yeah, no, I guess shout out to Susan Jones. She's the best. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah, I love the shout outs like that. <laughs> All right. Well, I ca I'm caught up on the super chats. If you have any other questions for Zoe, um, before we wrap thing things up here, um, somebody says I'm a Georgist. Well, that's probably more accurate, actually. Are you familiar with Henry George? Oh, I'm, I made I a whole video. So. Yeah, it's. I went down that rabbit hole researching, and well, it was mostly because like there's a lot of younger people that are really into Henry George, an obscure economist, mm. um, who he basically his main idea was a single land use ta tax, like a tax on just land, not the property on it. Hmm. Um, and he that was his solution to wealth inequality, basically. Like you know, you had Marxism, but his this was like something that was a different approach in um, the late 1800s. Yeah. And he was pretty popular when he was alive. And then, you know, his book was a bestseller and one of the most best-selling books in American history. And then he died and then people forgot about him. <laughs> and then just randomly in like the year 2015, a bunch of like hip teenage boys <laughs> decided that Henry George was cool again. And then now, and then, so I finally like, okay, fine, I'll check this out. Um, yeah, the book back. I got the book. Where's this book at? Yeah. Oh. Anyway, I have his, his book that uh, I just sat down and read, and it, it holds up pretty well. 
Um, nice. I'll have to give it a read. I do. I just real quick. I know that you're a big James K. Polk fan. Um, I <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I that he is underrated and often forgotten and oh, not yes. given his due. True. You know, I, respect. It, yeah, I'm perhaps being hyperbolic, but uh, I are you familiar with the "They Might Be Giants" song about James K. Polk? Yes, absolutely. That song was very important to me when I was in A Push, and I introduced it. <laughs> introduced my uh, pro my teacher, almost called her a professor, my teacher to it, and that was like the highlight of my sophomore year of high school. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Yeah. I, oh, I mean, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I have written, I have my own James Polk song that I made. And I I've written, not. Yeah. I've written, I've written songs about all the presidents. That was like a, that was the thing that I first did for my channel mostly was my make music videos for all my president songs that I recorded. See, yeah. I'm, I'm too new of a viewer. I don't have this, like <laughs> the, the deep Mr. Beat lore. Well, and you know what band that often I get compared to is they might be giants. Nice. I, so you might actually. That's like a pretty good band to be compared to. Oh, well, good. I. <laughs> what's weird is I never listened to them growing up. Mm -hmm. uh, I only later in life was like, oh yeah, they're good. <laughs> it's weird that. Um, Indu thoughts on RFK Jr. Um, you know, I don't like his uh, opinions on vaccines, and there's a couple of other things that are like out there. But generally, like I like his stances on corporate welfare, ending that. He tweeted actually my, my corporate welfare video. Um, and you know, he generally seems to be somebody that I think cares about people. And, um, do you, are you aware of RFK Jr., Robert Kennedy Jr.? <laughs> I am aware that he exists and is around. I have no thoughts on him. I choose not to think about him. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay. Uh, Leviticus Prime. Good to see you. Um, I heard that New York is thinking about tearing down George Washington statues. I'm not sure if this is because of weakness about him being a, a weakness about him being a slave owner or if they're embracing loyalist legacy. Oh, so That's this funny. isn't a question. This is just a statement. Okay. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, Faye, thank you. Do you think memes and online culture in general have helped or harmed people's abilities to be informed about academic topics? Oh, that's a good, yeah. I think this is going to be unpopular because I'm, because that is the internet that I'm speaking to. <laughs> I honestly think that they have harmed people's abilities to be well informed on various topics because mm. like i think that distilling things down into bite-sized easily accessible chunks of information is not always good because you lose a lot of nuance you lose a lot of depth um and i think that's bad i think that's part of why like that's one of the big weaknesses with like prager you and why i don't necessarily think that there can be a super high quality version of them that also makes five minute videos because you don't really get into depth and nuance with five minutes um and you get even less when it's just a you know an image with some text on it so they're fun they're cute i like memes i don't think that they're good for like serious curiosity or inquiry Fair enough. I, I would say this is, might be related to 
when we were when you asked me earlier about like historical movies and mm. um, musicals like it, i think memes can be a great gateway um to learning more about a topic and you know making stuff relevant i i do incorporate memes into my videos sometimes just to keep their attention i'm doing whatever i can to keep their attention every few <laughs> 30 seconds like oh don't, don't don't click away you know here's a meme um including just randomly start singing at, at points in the video like it's weird these weird little tricks you kind of learn like even with your videos i've noticed that the cats can sometimes be like mm -hmm. oh when you're yes. starting to like oh yeah it's like a weird subtle thing like okay focus you know yeah because you look at the cat and like oh what are we learning again <laughs> um yeah all right yeah there's a there's in the chat there's like people talking about um the replacements and i can't get over it i love the replacements shout out to oh. the band. you listen to the replacements at all I, they're an old, older band uh, i thought you were talking about the tv show on cartoon network oh oh, <laughs> oh i am um, i never seen it <laughs> Yeah, there's also a movie. So, okay, replacement <laughs> like the Car Cartoon Network, is it? I think it was Cartoon Network. I don't, it could have been Nick, but I think it was Cartoon Network. I know, I oh, also didn't watch Disney. Cartoons a lot. Disney. Oh, it was Disney, okay. Wow, I didn't know, I had never seen that before. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. <laughs> there's just too much, too yeah, much. There's, yes. All right. Well, <sighs> I think we'll wrap things up. It's been two and a half hours. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. It's been great to meet you, and this uh, has been a great conversation. Yeah, thank you again for inviting me on. This was fun. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so before you go, uh, if there's anything you want to plug, like maybe that latest video you're working on and when it comes out. So go subscribe to Zoe B, everyone. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I just have the YouTube channel. I have quit social media since X died i noticed that um, yeah because <laughs> it's i know social media i think is bad for human brains so i'm just not on it but you can find me on youtube um and if you like my stuff enough to want to support me i have a patreon consider joining that if you would like to and are able um but yeah i do have a big video about the sort of right-wing war on public education um, so if you are interested in this like education stuff, then subscribe. That should be out. I'm hoping I still don't have the script done yet, but I'm hoping that it will be out in like two and a half weeks, two and a half to three weeks. So keep your eyes out for that. Um, but yeah, otherwise, thank you again for bringing me on. Um, this yeah. was so much fun. Yes, it was. All right. Yeah. And uh, again, finally, subscribe to Zoe B, especially I would say for my viewers, you're probably going to be most interested at first, um, her PragerU videos. Yes. Um, and then from there, you'll you'll find like a, just a treasure trove of uh, really informative, engaging um, stuff that, yeah, you, you go deeper than I do. So that's, I yeah. It's, the, right. it's the video essayist trap of having to make hour long videos. <laughs> But you started out that way. It's funny how most video essays, they, they start, oh, I'll just do a 10 minute video. And then like by a year later, they're making two hour long videos. I <laughs> vow, I promise all of you this, I will never make a video longer than an hour and a half. That is where I draw the line. That is too much. They should not be feature length. That, yeah, I, I not, not a bad rule, not a bad rule. 
All right. Well, good night, everyone, and uh, or good morning, good afternoon. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in.